will buy me two round-trip first-class tickets to Athens, Lisbon, Madrid, and Scotland. Don't, don't forget Tahiti. And Tahiti. Tahiti is not in Europe. Going back into Brian De Palma, and actually watching this, I realized that Brian De Palma may be two most perfect uh, TV adaptions of all time, because uh, we are be going to be getting in two sneakers from 1992, and of course, Mission Impossible, the first one, the one that started it all, didn't mean to, and... It's heist, it's spies, it's everything else. And with me, who suggested this double, which I cannot wait to get into, is the host of the amazing New World Pictures podcast is, of course, Ryan Gowland. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm doing great, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me back. This is awesome. I'm so happy to be back and talking about two of my all-time favorite movies. I love these movies. I'm so glad you agreed to this double. So thank you for having me. Not yet, because I... I think I only watched Sneakers for the first time, might have been this year or last year. It was really new. Like, it was just a blind spot. And then I watched it. I went, oh, this is why everyone loves Sneakers, because it's awesome. Uh, no, I am so <laughs> looking forward to getting into it. But first, um, how is the podcast going? It seems like you're still going strong and just getting new guests and new interviews. And yeah. Yeah, it's going really well. Um, I, I don't know when this is going to come out, but I imagine it's in a month or so. But About we... that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so at this moment, so you, you, you'll have this already out. Um, we're in our comedy month. Um, we just put out an episode about the wrong guys uh, with our friend Tarek Davis. And um, this, this week, we're going to be dropping our interview with Daniel Waters, who is the screenwriter of Heathers. Oh. And that was just, Lindsay, I was, I was editing it and listening to it. It is so fun. We had a blast. The guy is... Not only one of uh, I think our you know best screenwriters, but the dude is hilarious, and we had a great chat. Um, we're gonna do Pretty Smart. That's this is our comedy month. Pretty Smart from 1987, Patricia Arquette's mm. debut film, and we also talked to the director the week after. So that's our August, and then we just recorded last night, and um, we plan planned out the rest of our year. So uh, September is gonna be a bit of a grab bag. Yeah. And then October, we're going to do Corn-tober, where we're going to be talking about, we'll be doing, we'll be ranking the Children of the Corn franchise. Yes! <laughs> We've got a couple other corn-themed stuff. We've already talked about Children of the Corn, um, but we will be, uh, we'll be discussing a lot of things, Children of the Corn, for Corn-tober. Um, November is going to be our version of Noir-vember. It's going to be the New World Noir-vember. Oh, no! <laughs> 
<laughs> with some thrillers, and then uh, we'll be ending the year with a death December, where we will be talking death movies, like oh. some movies that New World put out that have death or die in the title. So, um, and uh, yeah, so we're, we've we've just kind of plotted out the rest of our year, and uh, we're having a blast lining up some more great interviews and um yeah we just feel like uh we've gotten really lucky um in general to start the podcast and certainly this past year the amount of people we've been able to bring on and talk to that have worked on new world pictures movies is like this is it's been pretty great so we're we're having an awesome time and uh just thrilled that it's you know um that people are into it and that people want to come on and talk about these movies and talk about stuff it was great to have you for our 100th episode where yeah, we talked about warlock was a surprise and thank you especially warlock <laughs> you bet and it was an awesome awesome pick by you mark not so much but that's okay yeah. um he'll <laughs> he'll he especially when we make him watch warlock two and three he'll come around yeah we need we need to um we need to do we need definitely need to do the rest of them Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have an episode, a nearly new world, but we'll, we'll talk about them. Yeah. No, that sounds great. No, I've been always, I always enjoy um, listening to the, the new world podcast. Cause it's fun. It's informative. And I'm so looking forward to the um, Daniel Waters. Oh God, my sorry. Oh, it's just being like, it, it, this is going to, I'm so excited to get this episode. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. We've, we've, we've had some really, really fun interviews so far. Um, but this this one is uh, is pretty great. So this is definitely one of our best. So I'm very pleased. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. No, because Dan Waters, I mean, not only did he write Heathers, but he also contributed to the likes of Demolition Man and uh, and I just had the name, uh, Batman Returns. Can't believe I forgot Batman, Batman Returns. Batman Returns, yeah. Hudson Hawk, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. We talk about all those. Um, Vampire Academy, if oh you've my... seen that. yeah. Vampire Academy was his brother directed it and his brother directed Mean Girls, of course. So, um, which is, was sort of, which is sort of does Heathers a little bit it does. as well. So you had to have a Waters, I guess, somebody from the Waters family um, to, to, to do that. So, uh, but that was them teaming up together. And mm. so he, we, he, we touch on that briefly. So we, we talk about a bunch of stuff. Daniel is just a, a, a treat to talk to. We were, we were so pleased. So. No, no, I am so looking forward to that. That is going to be um, amazing. Um, and with that, we might as well get um, into, well, we might as well get into this double with the perfect, I think I sort of said this off mic, um, but I think Sneakers is the perfect movie. I might've already said that, can't remember, but we're going to be getting into Sneakers. What is going to be your first trailer? Curtains are opening. What's going to be your first trailer for Sneakers? <sighs> Sneakers. So, uh, okay. So I'm starting with something that I feel like is in the, um, is a director that I feel is a little bit in the vein of the director of Sneakers, which mm. is the director of Sneakers is Phil Alden Robinson, who also prior to Sneakers had directed, um, uh, a, a, nope, that's not it. Um, Field of Dreams. He, Field of Dreams. I wanted mm. to say a League of Their Own. I'm like, nope. <laughs> baseball but that's not it field yeah. of dreams was yes. what he had just directed and so i'm gonna go with breaking in from 1989 ernie is an artist an expert a master at what he does i'm a uh, currency relocator mike is just <laughs> breaking in you and i are in the same business kid huh Monkey business. Ever need a, an assistant? Tonight. It's not a job for everyone. What? These pants legs are a little long. Well, let's go home. 
but he's learning the ropes from the best in the business. Put your hands in your pocket. They like hands. The Samuel Goldwyn Company and Act 3 Productions present Breaking In, a comedy directed by Bill Forsythe and written by John Sayles that teaches you everything you need to know about psychology. You start thinking about who you're stealing from. Oh, perfect. I have not seen this for forever. Um, let me actually refresh my memory. What the fuck? If I am actually indeed thinking of the first of my correct movie. There's another Breaking In as well. So this is 1989. This is directed by Bill Forsyth and written by John Sayles. It stars Burt Reynolds yes. and Casey Shamasco. Yes. I may be saying his name wrong. And Lorraine Chassant. And this is like Burt Reynolds is like an old thief and he meets up with Casey Shamasco like in a house he's breaking into. Mm-hmm. And they sort of become somewhat partners and it's, bit, it's sort of a... It's you a know, mentor, um, a student ben, relationship yeah, a little bit, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Kind of a, there's a bit of a father-son mm. sort of teacher-student kind of mentorship thing that goes on. And he sort of takes him in and they start to like, you know, he starts to train him and how to be a thief. And 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 the reason I chose it is because I think that Forsyth's, uh, his movies, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I, I was, I, I, you know, my dad is from Scotland, so we watched, uh, you know, a lot of his, some of his movies. He didn't do a ton, but, mm. um, Local Hero was something I saw as a young, as a young kid. And I recently re- rewatched that. So I had gotten this disc, uh, there's a new disc for uh, Breaking In from Kino Lorber. And I was like, I, I, I just, I like Bill Forsyth. I was like, I think this might work. And it totally does. I rewatched it and I was like, this works because he's so good at building just like a, a, just a slice of life story. Like the one thing that Bill Forsyth isn't going to do is go real heavy on plot. No, it's not. That's not his style. It's all going to be based in characters and it's all going to be just, these are these two guys. You get to meet these characters. This is just a part of their lives that we happen to be stepping in and checking out. And then we'll be leaving at Mm. the end. And that's that. You just saw that part of their lives. And that's that. (laughs) That's pretty much his style. So I felt like there was like, you know, he makes like heartfelt movies, fully established characters. And I kind of felt like that there's a lot of that DNA. Um, they're not thieves and sneakers per se, but, you know, obviously they traffic a little bit in that, but that's not really what they do. Um, but I just felt like Phil Alden Robinson also is really good at telling a heartwarming story, really focusing in on characters, though I think he is better at plot and better at moving a story along in terms of a way we know like movies to go. Mm. Bill Forsyth is more like when I saw breaking in initially, I was a, um, I was working in a video store and I was in college and I remember not totally digging it. And I think it's because in a way you could see that like Burt Reynolds character is kind of right by the end. Yeah. (laughs) And, and I think as a younger guy, I was like, Ah, what are you trying to do with this movie, you old man? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but as an older person now that I'm I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of right. That's kind of what happens, you know. Um, uh, not to spoil anything, but um, but yeah, so I, I kind of felt like this really fit perfectly, and the tone of it really fit nicely with sneakers. So that's my first pick. No, that is really, really great because I haven't seen this one for years, and I think it might have been a, a video thing. And I just remember really enjoying it and being really sort of calm, but I because he also built Forsyth or direct also directed um local hero and that is a movie that doesn't have a lot of plot but you're just hanging out in this town um yep. Yep. more than and you get to else. meet like everybody in the town you do and you fall in love with this town much like the character does yes 
Um, and that's so- the stories that he, Bill Forsyth, wants to tell. He's not yes. trying to like tell complex, like plot driven stories. Yeah. They're just people stories. Yeah. And I think this is what breaking in is as well, because you're actually getting to know these two guys and how they work in kind of the lives that they lead, not necessarily the highest aspect. Um, cause you right. could, cause I wouldn't say sneakers is, is, is a complete heist movie, but it definitely strongly has that element. Cause the whole third act is them trying to get the black box, uh, sure. MacGuffins, um, the, the MacGuffin of the movie, um, away from Ben Kingsley. So that's <laughs> kind of the, that is the crux of the whole film, even though these guys aren't necessarily thieves they more work in security right i guess but um so it's a little bit more foggy on what these guys actually are um and all the fact that they have really insanely dodgy backgrounds it's like no one ever discussed the sydney portier cia mm-hmm. what he did mm-hmm. i love that we don't get all those details that's the best part that's what i love they know how to give you just enough in sneakers yes. just enough details but you don't need to know all of it you don't need to know all of it what you're looking at is the person who's presented to you and that's kind of what um this movie from memory does as well and also definitely because i have a better memory of local heroes definitely does you're just hanging out with these people so i think that is is an amazing amazing trailer um my first trailer i'm going for more of a feeling but i kind of love these uh puzzle movies not the right word it's kind of more like um investigating to get to the next thing to do the next thing kind of movie so i am actually going to go for the first national treasure from 2004, Nicolas Cage <laughs> is going to steal the de- Declaration of Independence. Of Independence. You're treasure hunters, aren't you? We're more like treasure protectors. All his life, Benjamin Gates has searched for a treasure no one believed existed. Don't you get it, Ben? The treasure is a myth. Dad, I refuse to believe that. But what he thought was the final clue... 108 years of searching and I'm three feet away. ...is only the beginning. The Declaration of Independence. You think there is a treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence? The map is invisible. Why would we make this up? Where's your proof? We don't have it. Riley, get down! Did Bigfoot take it? Word about the map is bound to get out. Ian's going to try to steal it. 90 seconds. The only way to protect the Declaration is to steal it. What? I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, um, yeah, he is. I adore this movie. I do not care. This movie is amazing. It is so much fun. Even Justin Bartha with his dopey bangs. Um, mm-hmm. I love the. Who cons- comes back for the sequel? Doesn't he? He does. Yeah, and yeah, I think he lit a yeah. improv a lot more in the sequel, which is like, yeah, that's probably not and then a good idea. Where did idea. he go? Where did I he don't, go? No, he did. He did. Um, he's like the guy who keeps disappearing in the Hangover movies, and that's it. So, oh right, right. They, if they do um, another, which I think they are doing in the third national treasure, he will definitely be in there, oh, I think. please. Yes, you have to have him. You do, I think, though, I think it should be obligatory if you're going to make another movie like that with Nicolas Cage. Like, Pedro Pascal has to have a role of some kind. Yes. He just should be in it. I think it, at this point, at this stage, we need the two of them together yes, in more things. they do. Because so, those yeah. two are adorable together. Oh, they my God. They were, yeah, amazing oh. together. They're oh. off the charts great. So <laughs> I didn't need a plot in that movie and a, a massive talent. I just needed those two swapping shoes. <laughs> this, this scene where they take acid is, oh. like, Eric and I were pr- literally LOLing. Like, we were, yeah. like, I mean, practically on the floor, dying, laughing. 
especially when I think Erica rewound it like 13 times, like when they were looking at those guys just staring at them yes! and he's trying to laugh naturally and it comes out so awkward. Anyway, that movie rules. Um, National Treasure, though, is great. John Turtletop, right? I yeah, think John Turtletop, yeah. 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 It's That's it's a super just, fun movie. It's fun. Super it's fun. awesome fun. It's it's got those it kind of again moves really really well because it's not a short movie at all this is like over two hours but the way it moves you don't really notice and again you just like those characters it's kind of the right amount of insane um, because who steals the Declaration of Independence and why is it a treasure map exactly um, it's it's all just got those right amount of mix of things where you're just watching it going oh god this I just this is awesome. <laughs> And I think this is like, and I, I don't know his filmography by heart, but obviously I feel like I've been watching Nicolas Cage movies my whole life. But um, from like Fast Times or Run High till, you know, and Raising Arizona, et cetera, to, to, to even to, you know, um, Massive Talent. But like, uh, this feels like sort of towards the end, but still at a point where we were like, yeah, Nicolas Cage, go out and do some action, man. We love yeah. it. Like, we were still really heavy in that period. And maybe it's at the tail end, but I think we were still really in that period. And that's a really, a solid, another solid uh, action film from him, I think. I think it's a lot of fun. It, it really is. And I think it's one of those ones that has actually aged really. I mean, yeah, because it was only, like, not even 10 years after The Rock. So we, I think we're definitely more on that. Please, Nicolas Cage, give us action. But the same yeah. part, I think it's really aged really well because it's got a whimsicalness to it. It's not mm -hmm. taking itself ultra, ultra seriously. Um, right, and it's just right. having fun with it. And just Nicolas Cage and Dinah Kruger flirting is the most adorable thing in the world. Yeah, it's a great pick. Yeah. So that is, so what is going to be your second trailer for Sneakers? My second pick? Well, you know, I was going to get cute and pick War Games because that is, of course, uh, Lawrence Lasker and Walter Parks who co helped co-write um sneakers they, yeah that, they wrote that movie first mm. and in writing that movie that's when they discovered uh, the world of sneakers they mm. discovered the world of guys that that go in and, and and do what the sneakers do in this movie so i was like oh i'll play war games but as i went through it i said uh you know what i think i want to go with a different dabney coleman film and so i'm going to go with 1984's cloak and dagger his game is make-believe their game is murder Spying and sabotage. This is starting to get good. What? Just like cloak and dagger. Now any move could be his last. Trying to kill us. Come on, this is cloak and dagger. For real, it's what you always wanted. Cloak and dagger. Now playing at a theater near you. Consult your local listing. Perfect. Um. Yeah, I this love is. It. Uh, the reteaming Psycho 2, post Psycho 2 for Universal. Uh, Richard Franklin, the director, and Tom Holland uh, writes the script. And this was a movie that I love War Games. My brother and I watched, we practically wore that tape out. Mm. Uh, we had a VHS of that movie. And uh, I had to rent um, Cloak and Dagger, but I would rent it very frequently because I just love that and always never thought of Dabney Coleman as kind of an action guy. You know, but in that one, he's he plays. Um, you know, of course, it's um, the kid from ET. It's uh, um, um, I want to say Elliot, but it's not. Oh, I want to uh, say Elliot. I almost want to say Elliot. Um, Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas, who I saw in a supermarket when we first moved to LA, and I swear he came around the side, and I just stopped dead and looked, stared at him, and I'm sure my face was like 
reverted to me as a 10 year old kid and was like, Elliot. <laughs> now, then I was like, you're looking like a creep. Get back to shopping. And I <laughs> went back to shopping. But anyway, uh, Henry Thomas is like um, an 11 year old kid. He's obsessed with video games and he's obsessed with um, role-playing games. And in particular, the role-playing game that he plays where William Forsythe, of all people, is sort of the DM, is a sort of action role-playing game yeah. where he plays uh, this character that is uh, personified by um, Dabney Coleman. And mm. Dabney Coleman then is this imaginary friend of his that goes around, as, he, as it turns out, Dabney Coleman is... Or, the guy who looks like his uh, his best friend, this character, mm. um, Jack Flack, is also his actual dad. His dad is also da Dabney Coleman as well. Um, but he gets this video game, and the video game on it has these military secrets, and all of a sudden he is in, caught up in this count cat and mouse game, and he's getting chased by bad guys and getting thrown in trunks, and he and his uh, neighborhood friend, this little girl, they're the only two that know the secrets and no one believes them because they're kids and it's you know uh it recently got a restoration for vinegar syndrome so this was another great chance for me to like just break out one of my discs take a look and this this thing still is still great it's still really good um i was very pleased there's definitely a couple dodgy moments that are you know it's the 80s and we got some some blue screen stuff that's <laughs> you know and you know what? We'll talk about some blue screen stuff that doesn't work later on in this in this in this episode. So I, I, that's yes, okay. We it's, will, it, you know. And I you might know. I might defend it because I think it's on purpose, but that's just me. <laughs> right? Okay. Good. Um, but uh, you know, so like, but I just thought it was great. It has that whole spirit. It's the whole sort of like chase aspect, which certainly we get in sneakers. Mm. I just felt like it really worked with like the same kind of story. It's you know people getting caught up in this sort of you know government conspiracy aspect of it too um especially in sneakers with the fake nsa agents and like what you know it just had a lot of that sort of uh intrigue and you know richard franklin is you know still always trying to make a, a good alfred hitchcock movie and 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 it's this one's an alfred hitchcock for kids and it's a lot of fun no because my mom, one memory of this movie is that dabney coleman who is the best plays a dual role and he, he plays the imaginary friend and, and and the father no i love franklin i think he's one of also one of the other he's the one of the great uh hitchcockian kind of descendants as we will be talking about the another great hitchcockian descendant very very soon yes, after this correct yeah but um i i love the way he does hitchcock even in psycho 2 there's a way that he does hitchcock as that ordinary guy who's caught which is a <clears throat> Well, yeah, because it's a direct thing of, of Psycho, but making um, Norman Bates the ordinary man in Psycho 2 was a brilliant yeah. stroke. Because in so yeah. first Psycho, he is yeah. anything but ordinary. And to have him try to go, no, I'm going to be ordinary, I'm going to be a normal guy, and then him caught in a conspiracy around him that he doesn't know what's happening, and it is kind of a mis uh, mistake, not mistaken identity, because they want him to be Norman Bates. And he's like, I'm not going to be Norman Bates. I'm, I'm going to try and be... Um, Another, I'm going to be a normal person, I think is was a stroke of genius. And I need to rewatch Cloak and Dagger. I might try and see if I can pick up, because it was a 4K, but gorgeous edition for the for the Vinegar Syndrome, it, it wasn't was. it? Yeah, it, it was. It was a very, it, you know, sometimes it's, when I see some of the movies that I used to see, that I've watched a lot when I was a kid, it's also so different to see it in scope. Yeah. It just like changes. It's It's like a whole new thing. It just changes the entire experience, because I'm seeing the entire picture instead of, you know, a square of it. 
And so it's so different to kind of see things that way. No pan and scanning and all that stuff. So it really changes how you like can even watch a movie. And this was great. I, I mean, I I definitely had some of my own memories of it, but like for the most part, it was almost like watching a brand new movie. Um, and, and it was really, it was really good. And the disc looks fantastic. It really oh. does. That's... It just looks great. It oh, looks that... brand new. It looks like a brand new movie. Other, other than you know, there's just certain things that are so inherently 80s, including kids being able to run around San Antonio, Texas with their bus passes. You're like, oh, that's that seems not so safe. <laughs> but but you know, we all did know, it in the, the 80s. 80s, though. We all did it in the 80s, and it was okay. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> it was as long fine. as you were home by a certain You're time, like, you were fine. Yeah, get out of the house and go ride your bike Thanks. anywhere. See ya. See ya. No helmet needed. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, such a different time. Oh. Totally different time. Yeah. But yeah, it was really good. I would definitely suggest revisiting Cloak and Dagger. Mm -hmm. It was it was a blast. Uh, good to know. I think it's definitely going on the list. Okay, I think I might be going kind of cute for my second trailer, but just watching, I love watching 1990s tech movies. I think they all got very well done, a bit too well done with The Matrix in 99. But in uh, 1995, we got the glorious movies that is Hackers. They're hackers. Hackers penetrate and ravage private and publicly owned computer systems. Hack the planet. Hack the planet! It's not just something they do. Sure, this sweet machine's not going to waste. Are you challenging me? It's who they are. I win, you wear a dress on our date. And if I win, so do you. They can crack any code. And get inside any system. Hello, Mr. Gill. According to our records, you're dead. Um, what? But this time... Come here, look at this. It's some kind of virus. Unless $5 million is transferred to the following account, I will capsize five oil tankers. They just hacked the wrong guy. Game's over. And yes, I am dedicating this to Uber Angel, a.k.a. Matt Bledsoe, um, who, if you don't know, did an amazing show on it with uh, Keith Rich, but then decided to do a... Um, I create your own hacker name with those one of those random sites that give you like Jello names or hacker names. Sure, sure. He got Uber, Uber Angel, which is now he's unfortunately stuck with. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny because this was my backup pick. Oh, yeah. I, I had hackers as a backup just in case. Uh, I didn't think you would have breaking in, but I don't know, just in case. I I, I just recently watched Hackers as well, and my God, what a blast that movie is. It is so fun. They get, they really, and they really do figure out a lot of things other than they really thought we would, rollerblading would take off. And they yeah. were a little wrong on that one. Yes. But they really had a lot of other things well figured out. They did. And the whole thing with sneakers is that who has the data has the power, which is a very prescient thing to say in 1992. Oh, yeah. But hackers, yeah, it was very much it. The fact that they were... Well, literally killing guys online, as in they were putting them, get, making birth, uh, death certificates for them and saying, well, no, you're actually legally dead now. And that kind of um, thing and just kind of the way um, you can move things around online and who you are online is not necessarily who you are in real life and all that kind of thing. And and it's, it's but it's so 95. It is it's so 95, yeah. it almost hurts. As someone who yeah. was a teenager at 95 or just turning no, a teenager, no, no. it's I'm yeah. like, oh, that, that's, yeah, it, that's a touch to accurate. You can practically <laughs> smell the Dracar Noir coming out of that film. It is reeks of the 90s. 
It's so rigged to the nineties, which is why they thought rollerblades were taking off. Yeah. Which is probably why yeah. Matt, like, like, we'll, we'll, even, we'll even get to use them in clubs. We can wear them indoors. Yes. Everyone will be okay with it because everyone will do it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's I like, was like, that's where you're off. But the technology part, you weren't so far off on. Yes. But su- yeah. Surprisingly, because um, you, you, the first time you're watching this movie, it's like, oh, they're going to get this all wrong. And it's like, actually, no, this is actually not as as accurate as I think it's going to be. And I think it's just a really fun trailer to have something so hyper, so teenage, so 95. Oh, then so slide 95 in and to the smoothness that is, that is sneakers. <laughs> exactly exactly um timeless fitness that is sneakers there there isn't uh you don't get to see uh, exact approximations of like rave culture in sneakers as you do in in hackers see that's what was missing from sneakers is robert redford and sydney portier at a rave bishop we've heard a lot of great things about you they're all true Your team, it's uh, kind of different. Darren Roscoe, also known as Mother. Now, what are you saying? The NSA killed Kennedy? No, they shot him, but they didn't kill him. He's still alive. Carl Arbogast. No! I know. We're the ones who caught him. Erwin Emery, also known as Whistler. Very good, Bish. Remind me to make you an honorary blind person. How about Donald Priest? 22-year veteran of the CIA. Did I ever tell you why I had to leave the CIA? My temper. I don't believe this. You lied to us all these years. Even lied to us about your name. We all have our little secrets, don't we? You guys have a decision to make. The penetration is live. The target is unaware. Sneaking a foreign intelligence service that might kill us to keep us out is not what we the do. The probable level of security is very low. Yeah, then we needed some representation. <laughs> we needed them in some really chunky pants, like mm-hmm. really big, wide jeans, real wide cuffs. You know, yeah. we needed to see that. We um, really did need to see that. Not even River Phoenix, you know, no. gets to do that. And he's really the youth market for this movie, literally chosen for the cast because they were like, we got to have someone young. And so they chose River Phoenix. Yeah, th- so, that, yeah they did. Because if you look at the rest of the cast, he's like, everyone's 30 years at least older than yeah. he is. Yeah. Well, I think initially, you know, the script took 10 years to write. Mm. They started writing this right after War Games and then, the you know, um, Lawrence Lasker and Walter Parks. And then they brought in Phil Alden Robinson and they were writing it together. Oh, wow. Basically over for basically for 10 years. Mm. Um, the new disc I got for it, which is from Plumeria Pictures, has like a really great new interview. Oh, um, it's, a UK, yeah. it's a UK. It's a UK based company. I might have to and, get this. Because I rented um, it on SD and I was not impressed. I was like, I need to have a Blu-ray of this. <laughs> it's nice. I don't think it's the, the I don't, it, it says it may be a new scan, but mm. I don't think it's probably any newer than the, the I also have uh, the, the regular Universal yeah. Disc, the US Universal mm. Disc. It doesn't look honestly any different, but there is a new interview with the director and it, which is, which is pretty great and a couple other commentaries. So, um, so that's very nice. But on that interview, he talks about how they like, they wrote so many versions and you got to think at this point, sometimes that's on like 
probably not even on a computer, but like a word processor yes. or something at that point. But they wrote like a super long version of mm. this movie where they like put everything in it and it's nearly like 200 pages. And then they like did another version where they like really trimmed it down to next to nothing and got it to about like 70, 80 pages. And then they started going through that version and just adding some of the other things they really loved. And I don't want to say that you have to work on a script for 10 years in order for it to get made. But I do think in this case, it really helped this movie be incredibly tight because I was just even watching some more of the director's commentary today. And I was like, how much more do I have left? Because in my mind, this movie is like a 90 minute movie. Yeah. And it's two hours and five minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I, I've watched this movie. I don't know how many times I've never thought of it as a two hour long movie. It feels it like just it, it flies. No, it feels like it's a 90 minute movie. It really does. Yeah. It's, it doesn't, it, when it does, because the best thing about Sneakers is that when it's a hangout movie. So it is much as yeah. a hangout movie that it is, but it's got this propulsing plot. So as soon as you, as soon as the guys get the NS, what they think is an NSA job, um, spoilers for a movie made from 1992. Um, as soon as they realize they have that job, it's just full go, 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 go. And yeah. then it kind of um, ends with the probably most amazing ending ever. I don't know. Every single time, I always forget that James Earl Jones shows up in this. And then when he does, I'm like, oh, it's just perfect. Of course, he's the head of the NSA. I mean, it, I, more appropriately yeah. the CIA, because I still think this is the same character from the, um, oh, from Claire in Prison Danger and, and all that. <laughs> Right, right. I have to deal with these bozos, but um, I love that it just keeps going. And then you get to the end, and you're like, well, I guess I've been over two hours. Wow. <laughs> and, and in that commentary, when they talk to him on the phone, James Earl Jones, mm. uh, Robinson talks about how he wanted to cast somebody whose voice would be recognizable on the phone, but you wouldn't know who exactly it is. And then when you shows up at the end, you'd be like, of course, that was James Earl Jones. Mm. And it works so damn well. <laughs> like, that is so incredible. It, it totally works. It works, considering James Earl Jones has the most iconic voice. One of the most recognizable voices. voices. And I always yeah. forget it's him on the phone. Darth always. Vader. It's fucking yeah, Darth it's Vader. And how do you Darth not Vader. know? You're, yeah. you're going, God, that's how, who is that? And you're like, it's fucking Darth Vader, dude. It's the voice you've been hearing since you were a child. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How could you not know who it is? Yeah. And at, at that point in time, had just been in a role of Field of Dreams. And so mm. knew Robinson. So amazing you'd be able to just dial up, you know, James Old Jones and have him come in for a day and shoot this this movie with an already unbelievably stacked cast. One of the most stacked casts. It's, it's this like perfect mix of 70s, 80s, and the 90s with, the river phoenix being obviously the 90s i think he oh, actually died in 92 he he died not yeah not too long after oh this is his not his last movie yeah but it's not it's not far off yeah because i know it was I released think... in new zealand around the time he died because i know when okay. i was saying oh god oh yeah i'm watching this like I remember going to see that he just died so i think sneakers was actually released when he passed away so it was very yeah. a little bit after um, but yeah, you have the eighties with, um, Dan, a Dan Aykroyd, who I still think is right. playing himself in, in this, um, <laughs> <laughs> though he wanted to be cast as Cosmo. That's who he wanted. Oh, wow. Apparently yeah. the director like talked to him and said, he said, I want to do this movie. He's like, I gotta, I gotta play Cosmo. I, you know, he loved yeah. the script. 
and Robinson was like, we're already out to somebody. He's like, it doesn't matter. I, I already got this all figured out. I know who I'm going to base this character on. I think he based it on somebody like, like a character from J- that Jerry Garcia knew, some guy yeah. that was in the, the Grateful Dead. He's like, I've got it all worked out. I know what the character is going to be. He's like, we're out to somebody. He's like, he's like, it doesn't matter. You just have to let him go. Let me do this part. He's like, we're out to Ben Kingsley. He's like, okay, I'll play mother. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> just like, I'm, never, I'm not going to be able to compete with yeah. Ben Kingsley. Yeah, it's Ben, it's ben Kingsley. That's, yeah. yeah, I mean, you can't you can't beat that. Um, yeah. But yes, the 80s with, with Dan Aykroyd, certainly taking that decade. Yeah, maybe he did a little bit of Strathern, but he's always just been around. And then you have the two titans of the 1970s, Robert Redford and Sidney Poitier. It's just this kind of, because I was sort of watching it going, especially Redford brings a very specific authority to this because he is the natural. He is the Sundance kid. He is Mm -hmm. um, the candidate. He's even like um, Bob Woodward. There's something about whenever Redford appears on screen, he's instantly, you trust him, which I think is why it was kind of genius Mm -hmm. casting for when they did Captain America Winter Soldier, something they can never play again, but to have him just be the bad guy. And you're like, Oh shit, he's the bad guy. It, because he does have this very um, authoritative command that you walk in and you're like, okay, I listen to you. There's some, I don't know, there's something, him and Portier both have it, but it's something about Redford where you're just like, okay, I will do what you say, sir. I, I won't question right. you, sir. Yeah, and he's, he's amazing so in this. He's so warm and inviting. Yeah. He's yes. like a, a really comfortable old sweater. You're like, yeah, I, want, I should wear this thing every day. Yes. This is the best. Why isn't the weather always perfect for me to have a sweater on? You exactly. Know? And I think when I first saw this, now you said you just saw this like a year or so ago. I saw this when I was working in a video store and, and when I was younger. Mm. And so in when it first came out on video, and I think I hadn't seen it in the theater. Um, sadly, I didn't see either one of these in the theater. And I'm I'm certainly kicking myself for the uh for the next one we're gonna talk about. Oh, but me I too. didn't see I didn't see sneakers because I think because it had Sydney Poitier and and I thought, oh, this must be like an older, this is targeted for like older people. And this it's is not Dan Aykroyd, it's not movie. Phoenix, but mm, this is like, yeah, 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 this is like my parents' movie or whatever. But I was working in a video store, so it came out and I was like, well, I'll rent it. I'll, mm. I'll take it home and take a look at it. And I watched it and I was like, this is utterly charming. Mm. This is like just an utterly charming movie from start to finish and fell in love like then and there. I was like, I love this. I got it on VHS. I bought it on every format since, uh, except I never had a laser mm. laser player. But I, you know, I have just constantly been like, yeah, a new edition of sneakers grabbing because I just love this movie. And I was watching it again just from the get go, from the opening moment of the flashback when they're in the college and the snow's falling, and you hear just that James Horner score, yeah, with, uh, Branford Marsalis playing. It's just like, yeah. This is, I love this. I'm all, I'm like in an extreme happy place. Um, I did not know at the time that I would be doing a podcast many years later, talking about the music of James Horner so many times over, <laughs> but this is, this is unlike uh, uh, some of the music that Roger Corman had and reused constantly, but this score is terrific. It's so good. It's so solid. And I love that just that opening flashback scene. You They also cast two perfect younger actors to play a young Ben Kingsley and a young Robert Redford. Yes. Not, uh, not an easy task. No. And they 
perfectly cast to these two young guys. They do, except for the split second when you first see the guy who's playing young Redford. For the sec, I've seen this movie twice, and the second, first time it happened, and the second time, I was like, "Wait, is that Gary Busey?" They did not get Gary Busey to play young Redford. I'm offended, and I'm like, "Wait." No, that isn't Gary Busey. I don't know. There's this one shot that I swear keeps looking at, like, because I think the hair's all coming down to the front or something. Um, they're trying to style his hair like young Redford, which I think is hilarious because it doesn't uh-huh. quite. That's my one criticism. Yes. They don't get the hair quite right for young Redford. His hair is a thing. And yeah. at this point, I'm like, if you pl- have somebody play a young Redford, but even maybe particularly then, because now it's all a wig, right? So at yes. this point, like, he's gone to someone who's c- perfectly crafted his former hair. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so they could have found somebody to perfectly craft. It's not perfectly crafted, but the other thing that's super comforting about that opening moment too is that 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 thing that's supposed to that building is supposed to be the college is is on the Universal Studio lot, and mm. it's the Back to the Future Square. So that opening moment is actually the building, the yeah, building it is. With, the, with the clock tower, just shot from the opposite angle, yeah. and unlike uh, where it's shot in Back to the Future. So it also feels very familiar because I've seen that building so many times. Exactly. It feels so warm and that sweater, just wrapping myself in that sweater. Sneakers is a sweater of a movie. It is one of those movies that (laughs) even melts the heart of the douchiest film bro because they're all, yeah, yeah, I like this and this. Oh, Sneakers. Oh, I love Sneakers. It's like, it's, it's a movie you cannot hate. There's something about it. And then, yeah, you get that scene and then he goes out for pizza. Poor young Cosmo has been... Oh, I love the fact that they're just giving away Nixon's money. If they <laughs> just, I love that so much. They've gotten into Nixon's bank account and they're like, yeah, we'll just give it to a charity that he would hate. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely their little uh, three days of the Condor like nod, yes. I feel like, yeah. this, this sort of opening. It's like they had to do some sort of, it, though it may have been written like that and if to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Redford, I think, was also not a, the initial guy that they wanted to cast because they wanted somebody more their age, like more maybe like about 10 years younger. Mm. So not particularly in his 30s or 20s, but mm. more in his 40s rather than his 50s. But I think at the time, Redford really needed, he needed a big hit. Though At the time, he was he was directing A River Runs Through It. Yeah. So he had just finished and he was supposed to be done with it and then do sneakers. But he actually was shooting this movie, acting this movie, and then like editing River Runs Through It at mm. the same time. So unbelievable. A River Runs Through It is also an, another utterly charming, terrific film. Redford is a really so, good director. I it's, really good. Yeah. I never like I've just seen ordinary people, which I'm like going, okay, yeah, this is the I know it gets a lot of flack because it's the movie that bet out uh Running Bill, uh not Running Bill, um Raging Bill. Yeah, and also the Elephant Man in the nineteen eighty sure. yep. um, thing. Yeah. But when you watch it, you're like, "Yeah, this is what the Academy was going to vote for." There was, there would, this is the movie. I can't see them going Raging Bull as much as Raging Bull is Raging Bull. It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's and it's really well done. I mean, oh my god, Donald Sutherland's performance in that is so heartbreaking. It's it's insane. And then of course, Quiz Show is one of the greatest dramas ever made. It's um he's i was just looking at that today because i was like what what else why isn't he directing more because he's gotten so many he has so many good movies yeah directed but he really doesn't have a super long um filmography as a director 
No. And like, I was like, what has he done recently? And I haven't even seen some of these. Like he did a movie in 2012 called The Company You Keep, which oh. I was like, that's another political thriller. Yeah. It has Shia LaBeouf, but okay, I can I can overlook that mm. and and check it out. Um, I actually think Shia LaBeouf's fine. I'm, I don't know why I'm knocking him. Um, the Conspirator, you know, maybe. And I yeah. and I was like, oh right, Lions for Lambs, which is him and Tom Cruise. Yes. And, uh, but I I was like, I haven't seen that since probably 2007. Um, the Legend of Bagger Vance. Uh, that one I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe maybe a little too much syrup on yes. these pancakes. Yes, a little bit, a little he, bit too much. Yes, because his movies do have a touch of syrup, um, but usually just enough. But um, yeah, I think Beggar Vans went overboard with the with the with yeah, the, put, just a little maybe. He put too much too syrup much. in the in the in it's the. Been yeah. a, it's been a while. It has it's been a while. I'm yeah. older now. I might actually appreciate how much syrup that is. But yes. I remember at the time being like, <laughs> it's. Uh, but yes, Quiz Show, River Runs Through It, and uh, the Milagro Beanfield War. Oh, I keep forgetting about that one. And Ordinary People. I'm like, that is a pretty damn good run. That is a really I mean, good run. And it's kind of weird that Redford wasn't their first choice because this feels like such a Redford movie in terms of the um, 1970s leftism, um, in terms mm-hmm, of the politics, the terms right. of the vibe of what Bishop is um that he's this very trustworthy guy um so when he does something wrong it's for the good of the people that he's protecting it's um yeah it's got it's, got, it's such a redford movie i don't know how else to sort of no e- when you watch this movie yeah. you're like how could this have been anyone else yeah but i think it was merely because he was a little bit older and he was like oh i'm not sure because mm. they basically were like yeah you know i think i forget who he's talking to but the director was saying somebody was like oh yeah you know you should play this movie you should get bob and he mm. was like bob what are you talking about bob bob who he's like mm. bob redford and he's like oh no no no, he's too old and they're like well he's already read the script and he loves it and he wants mm. to do it and he's like okay well guess robert redford <laughs> you know <laughs> what are you gonna do fight that um yeah, you know if, Ro- and, and, if robert redford wants to do your movie in 1992 you go this way sir. yeah you're <laughs> like no i'm 100 yeah. and um, but yeah, to watch it now, you're like, how could it have been anyone else? It's so perfectly a Robert Redford movie. And you're right. It so fits like with a lot of those characters he's done and a lot of the, the politics that he has mm. either on screen or off screen. It yeah. really like kind of fits and it makes sense that you could see this guy being such a counterculture kind of guy at the time, but now he's had to hide, kind of hide himself away, but you know, it's, it's sort of perfect for Robert Redford. I, I mean, it's it like is. whoever had that idea, it was like, thank thank you for having that idea because he's perfect. He's absolutely perfect. And everyone else, I mean, yes, Dan Aykroyd didn't want to play mother. He wanted to play Cosmo, but at the end of the day, he's mother. <laughs> it's, yeah. he's kind of this, well, he is, he is mother. Um, River Phoenix playing Carl, I think, because River Phoenix was just playing whatever, such a wide, brand of roles that he could do the sweet little innocence Carl um who basically just will flirt with every woman who walks into the into events yeah. which just is adorable until one woman actually responds going hey you're kind of cute um and then he is sort of I think the le- he's the least served of yeah, the past he is he's more but, of a punchline than more than anything else it was more yeah. oh, hey, look at this guy yeah He's the kid, and, I, and it may be a little bit like they weren't, they didn't know how to write for the kid, because there is a lot of stuff that didn't make the movie, and obviously they had an even bigger script with even more stuff. Yeah. There was even initially, I think they'd written where they had like put the team together, 
Oh, wow. So they yeah. did all that stuff, but they said then they cut it all out because they're like, it's better to just see them already as a group. But then we knew who the characters were because we wrote all that stuff. Yeah. So it was like, you know, it was it was just a long... Plus, also technology was probably constantly changing, so they were constantly Having researching. Having to update they were, it, <laughs> they were going. They were going. They said in researching. I think at UCLA and just yeah. like researching and researching stuff, and they were just constantly like reading books, figuring out all the stuff and the technology was going mm -hmm. on. And I'm sure they had to continue to do that as they were um, writing the script over ten years. But I mean, I, I just don't think you can ever you can beat this cast. It's just an unbelievably even down to like the small roles. Um, like Timothy Busfield as one of the fake NSA agents. Yeah, he's and, so uh, great. <laughs> and Eddie Jones, who is his partner, they're just a perfect little tandem of kind of like the smooth younger guy and then the just, the, you know, the good cop, bad cop, essentially. Good NSA, bad NSA. Big um, NSA, which I love. As soon as they realize they're not, how do you know they're the way NSA? And he's like, I don't know. Someone comes up to see, you say NSA, you believe they're NSA. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and he, and he speaks so well, like, in yeah. terms of, like, that whole exchange is just terrific, where he's like, oh, you're the guys that are listening on the phone. And he's like, mm. no, that's the FBI. And he's like, oh, well, you just, then you go into other countries and overthrow a dictator. He's like, nah, it's the CIA. Like, yeah. it was just this, it's just this delightful, like, selling of what he's doing. And, of course, as you find out, they are, they were former NSA agents. So, it they, you know then it really kind of makes sense, but um, they sell it super well. Um, Eddie Jones too was also the police chief in Chud. So I had to throw that in there. <laughs> the guy who plays the uh, bad NSA, so. Yeah. No, it's so <laughs> um, great. Yeah, and even uh, Stephen Toblolowski is some of my favorite bits in him, uh, from his especially. Um, oh, I love- oh, He's, we'll get into, he's amazing we'll, in this. We will get into Mary Mac uh, McDonald, but just the way he goes, I thought my voice was nasally and pinched. Um, and he just, yeah, apparently he came up with that line. Oh, himself in a, in a rehearsal. Yeah. Oh. oh, that was the other thing about breaking in is that it also has Steve Tobolowski is also a small role in that too. He's just who, been popping up in everything I've been watching at the moment, and I'm just like delighted. I'm just like, yeah, more Steven Tobolowski, please, because he's amazing. <laughs> and I read, I read today a piece that he wrote, for, I think, for Slate on like the 20th anniversary or something of the movie. Yeah. And he was like saying that when he got the script, he was on a a role, which he was, because like. There was a period where Stephen Tobolowski was in every single movie, yeah. like basically that was coming out, and he said he saw the the title for Sneakers and was like, I don't know, like what's this movie about? He was like, What is this about a down luck basketball team that <laughs> uh, gets it together because they put a girl on the team who's got a really great shot and that's yeah. how they win it all? Like, just thought this is just some dumb movie, and then he read it and he was like, Oh no this is amazing i gotta be in this movie <laughs> yeah and he is amazing it just the way he is kind of flirting and not flirting with mary it is kind of it's kind of incredible and the way he realizes that she's up to something is it's because she puts the license in the wrong place in the wallet isn't it well the little dog knocks over the wallet he has that little uh, like dog that does voice yes, commands yes and it and she has her purse on the coffee table and it goes to the end of the coffee table and knocks it off yeah and then her wallet spills out that's how he able, he's able to find it when they first meet though in the in the chinese restaurant he it's great cuz she sits down it's so subtle yeah when he sits down he was like um the dim sum bar is going to end soon She's like, oh, I'm okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not in any hurry. And he's kind of like, doesn't say anything, but he's like, okay, well, I'm going to get some dim sum before. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got to get 
it's yeah you know we got to get that before it's gone yeah exactly it's just Can't be not, great, just, like just walks off like it's I'm, just great <laughs> i'm not i'm not worried about you i'm worried about the dim sum <laughs> it's just so it's so great it's so subtle and so so terrific and then he has a line where he's like can i have can do will you have breakfast with me and she's like sure and he's like do i should i call you or nudge you? you which is like oh gross uh, so gross it's just this this guy is the worst he is the worst and the fact that oh my god mary mcdonald is so amazing the fact that yeah she's well she'll always be the sort of the, the president in um oh shoot battlestar galactica thank you yeah so yeah. that's who, that's who she'll always be for me. It was this very strong, upstanding woman. And in Sneakers, she is sexy. She is smart. She is sassy. She is some of the best one-liners, as in, like, I'd really want you to say passport. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm a really good, great marksman. I mean, a woman, um, <laughs> marxwoman. Um, it's, she is so goddamn delightful in this movie. She is sparkling. Her and Robert have really great. She has chemistry. She has amazing chemistry with everyone. I mean, everyone. Everybody. You can tell yeah. everyone's just like falling in love with her a little bit. It's it's amazing. Yeah. She is another person perfectly cast, and this is like, like really peak. I want. I don't want to say peak time because then she does Battlestar Galactica, but like early like hit with uh, Dances with Wolves. Yes, and I she is just knocking yeah. it out like. Grand Canyon, another great mm. movie. She's awesome in that. Um, Passion Fish, mm. this. Um, she's like killing it. Obviously, Independence Day, then after that, but like she's just like throwing in um, uh, what Mate Wan as well earlier than that. So like, oh, she's just throwing yeah. in performance after performance. She's just like killing it. And she is, it's just like she's so good. And she really is a character who comes into a movie. And not that they all slavishly go around her, but it feels like they all orbit around her. Yes. She is like the star that they all follow. Mm. You know, it's really amazing. And again, I I was saying this earlier, Phil Alden Robinson, I think is a little underrated. That scene when uh, Redford first comes in and she's giving the piano lesson. Mm -hmm. That first scene is one shot. It really is. There's there's a couple scenes, entire scenes where there one sh- where there's one shot, but there's a lot of this movie where they'll at least at least do half the scene or part of the scene in a single shot mm. and move the camera, but that one in with the where he upsets the piano lesson, she's going around collecting all the uh, the different music notes mm. on all the stands. She's going over to her purse. She's turning off a keyboard. She goes over and uh, closes the doors on Redford at mm. one point. Like it is like unbelievably it's like it's a dance it's so well choreographed it's just perfect it's unbelievable how well it is and you don't even notice that there's not a cut in the entire thing no it's yeah i think he is because i only just saw uh field of dreams was definitely a pandemic movie like i'm stuck at home i'm just watching a whole bunch of stuff and i'm like okay maybe it's time i watch this movie field of dreams so i can finally know if you the term if you will build it there will come that isn't Wayne's World 2. Um <laughs> that's amazing. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um that movie was such a phenomenon in the United States. Just so like such a big thing. And I they kept that actual baseball field in that cornfield for years. Wow. Like the people that really allowed them to build it on there. It yeah. was a tourist attraction forever. I don't think it is anymore, mm. but it was for a, such a long time. 
until I think it was like, you know, financially just not something they could continue because, you know, they were literally had to take down a whole lot of corn in order to keep this baseball field up. Yeah. But, um, but like, sh- yeah, because I'm pretty sure Timothy Busfield is also also in the Field of Dreams, and that's his main argument yeah. is like, you're taking away too much corn. You're just yeah. for this field yeah. that yeah. <laughs> But it was it was like an attraction there. Um, mm. I think it's in Iowa, right? So um, yeah. I think it was there for like forever. So it's funny that I mean it makes sense. I mean a big a movie about baseball probably isn't something that's going to take, you know, um, take New Zealand by storm. No, as, as you're growing up. Yeah, but then because I'd also as well actually I'd seen the Ken Burns documentary on baseball, which for some reason I watched all 15 hours of that at one point when I was going through a Ken Burns face. <laughs> why am i watching baseball i don't this, i don't understand and also um eight men out speaking of john sales again yeah no i understood that's the a ref- great one. Oh, so good i understood the references to uh reliota's shirtless drew jackson like i went ah okay i know what that is yeah. um but it's great to like that's a great movie to watch if you haven't seen it and be like wow all these cultural <laughs> touchstones just, i'm getting them now i'm now getting it all them makes now sense. and like as a kid i was like why is Ray Liotta sad? I don't understand. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what is that picture? I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, but the it, but it was kind of so much more than I thought it was going to be. And I think he's really smart because the way he just sort of, he can let the camera tra- travel and uh, uh, Field Dreams does that. But when they're in the, um, I think it's in the scene when they're in the headquarters before they go to Mary uh, McConnell or Liz's um, apartment and they kind of know that they're screwed. Like, they know the black box. I think Redford's or Brian Bishop has lost the black box. Um, they know that they're going to get arrested. They don't know what they're going to doing. And they're uh-huh. trying to figure out all the clues. And you just see the camera just float around every single person having their own personal meltdown. Yes. And River Phoenix yes. just doing stuff with the Scrabble pieces going boo, something around. I remember what he's making dirty words with the Scrabble pieces, I think. I think that's the same well. There, there's that scene where they—that's just post where they have the party. Yes, and they're trying oh, to figure yes. out sea tech astronomy. That's when they get out the scrabble. That's right. Yeah, and then they come up with you know too many secrets. Yeah, and then they end up stumbling on that. But there is that scene you're talking about when they do infiltrate uh, her apartment. Yes, and they're all setting up camp in Mary McDonald's apartment, mm. and that's a scene where they basically put the camera in place of the coffee table, and they put everyone around the coffee table, and then he's calling the actual NSA. Yes. trying to make a deal yeah and that's not one it's not one cut but the camera just keeps swooping in and moving yeah. and robinson actually he conferred with his editor to make sure that that would work if they put the camera there and just mm. kind of move around they did it um handheld and just moved around just going from character to character shooting that scene just in the middle of that circle of everybody yeah and it's because it will move from Dan Aykroyd saying, yes, he's telling the truth. It'll move to Whistler saying, yes, okay, right. now we're in Abu Dhabi. They're actually really good. Right. You've got 30 seconds. You've got 20 seconds. You've got Correct. 15 seconds. You've got 30 seconds. And also, actually, Mission Impossible has a really great scene like that. Um... <laughs> but it, what's great about it, though, what's interesting, and as this is a double, because I don't think Robinson has the kind of, you know, he... Phil Alden Robinson is not Brian De Palma. No. This is an, an amazing, <laughs> what an incredible statement. <laughs> How dare hey, you, everybody. <laughs> what we, Yeah. What an, what an amazing uh, cineast I am, I yeah. guess, uh, with that kind of comment. No, but I, I, I'm just saying he doesn't have as much stylistic mm-hmm. um, flourishes as obviously Brian De Palma has. But I also think Phil Alden Robinson hadn't 
he hadn't really directed as many movies. He hasn't directed very many movies since. No. I think he has got a very good little filmography as well, but he, I don't think he really had um, a lot of confidence as a director, but he, it's not that he doesn't know where to put a camera or how to build a tense sequence. And we'll get into Mission Impossible where De Palma builds some tension and he's just, I mean, he's a fucking master at doing that. He's yeah. unbelievable at it. Yeah. And he does it in ways that, you know, it, you know, Mission Impossible had these cultural touchstones that we still talk about to this day because exactly. he's so damn good at it. But that scene was such a great example of him being able to know that if you just have all these characters in a room, one of them is on the phone, one of them is reading, you know, the lie detector, mm. one of them is just looking at a computer, like, how do I make this interesting? Yeah. And that was such a genius idea of making that scene flow and become interesting. Well, yeah, he does that quite a bit. I mean, the first scene time you when you see the crew actually breaking into the bank at first off, and Robert Redford yeah. kind of falls behind the thing and goes, oh, I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> yeah. It does break it up. And yeah, I did actually notice a few split-diopter shots in this movie, only because I just finished watching Mission Impossible, which Brian De Palma is the king of the split-diopter. Oh, my Um, God. It's almost every other shot. It's It's... almost every other shot. It just gets... (laughs) And then so I'm watching this, I went, oh, split-diopter. Oh, go you. Go you, Phil. But no, I think... And plus, Phil... Sometimes they do the split-diopter and they'll have a third one (laughs) in the background... Where they're like just me- when they're meshing the two, they'll yeah. mesh the two together. The two, you know, yeah. It's just like yeah, yeah. The Palma is just like, hey, I, what if I I could fit the whole world in this frame? Oh just my give god, me some time. just, just give me some time. So many. Yeah, and I'm I'll just gonna, everybody in there. Oh, you think I'm? You can't take a shot from this angle? Oh wait, I'm just going to show you <laughs> that I'm going to take it from all the angles. No, it's yeah, yeah. And I'd say he's a much Phil is a much more. Um, uh, Phil and Alden Robinson is much more of a class- classical kind of director as in the way he shoots but he's kind of got a good understanding of how things look and I can understand him not being confident especially when you are in a room with Sidney Portier and Robert Redford who are also not yeah. only heavyweights um, but also have directed movies before Yeah, they know their way around a set that would be terrifying I mean you've also made Phil the dreams I don't think Kevin Costner was quite at his I'm going to tell you how to shoot everything phase quite yet with that movie but no no i would be shedding bricks if i was trying to direct redford and sydney portier i'm like oh my god yeah you already know how to make movies yeah you are already yeah you were already acclaimed directors and actors how do i tell you i'm gonna tell you how to do stuff now uh oh no yeah that would be terrifying and he also didn't want to direct this movie he was just a co-writer and he wasn't even going to direct it Mm. And I think it was one of the other writers that was like, well, why don't you direct this movie? And he was like, oh, no, I, I it should, this, I don't think I can do this. I, I don't think this should be mm-hmm. for me. This should be for someone else. He said, I would only direct this movie. Like I would want this and I want to shoot in LA. And you know, he had a few demands and like they went over then to the studio, not Phil, but I think the writers, yeah. his co-writers. And they were like, hey, why don't we just get Phil to do it? And we, he just needs these things. And the studio was like, sounds good. Yeah. And then they went back to him and were like, well, they'll meet all your demands. Why don't you direct it? And he was like, shit. Because like, <laughs> he wasn't going to do it. You know, because I think he had, he wasn't, fam- you know, he hadn't done a lot of action. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of like, I don't know about action scenes. And, you know, he was kind of like nervous to do some of the stuff in there. And yeah, I mean, he had to direct, you know, these absolute legends of the screen as well. So, but it's funny that like James Earl Jones comes from Field of Dreams. 
because he worked with Costner, Costner works with Dances with Wolves. He goes and sees a screening of Dances with Wolves. Mm. He sees Mary McDonnell Hotcaster in this. Yeah. So it's kind of funny how all these things kind of progress to 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 put this cast together, this incredible cast together. Um, but to go back to the one take shot, it's mm. also outside of that scene with Mary McDonnell and Robert Redford, the first scene where he goes to the fake NSA office mm -hmm. is again, all one take. And it is beautifully choreographed. I would suggest anyone going back and taking a look. And in the commentary, Robinson talks about being really inspired by um, Touch of Evil and not mm. just the Touch of Evil shot, obviously the opening shot, which is infamous for being one take. Mm. There's a, a scene later on in the middle part of the movie that is a single shot, but you don't think of it. And I think, and it's when Orson Welles is coming into it and they literally had to like tear down walls of sets in order to keep the camera being able to move around and then yeah. put the wall back up. And yeah. I mean, it's another beautiful full real shot mm. in Touch of Evil that is one take. And he literally showed um, Timothy Busfield and Redford and uh, Eddie Jones, he showed them that scene it's like, this is what we're going to do. So when you see Redford come in, Timothy offers some coffee, goes to the coffee, kind of sits. It's just a little bit of a dance till it ends up on the other side of the table and he's ending up sitting down and you see the two NSA guys on his side and he's mm. trapped. So the image is he's trapped. It's, it's, it's kind of amazing. But yes, it's not super complex. It's very like, it's sort of simple, but it's really like thoughtful. The way he shoots things are very thoughtful and precise, but not like super flashy or super stylistic, but no, very yeah. like he's very thoughtful about where he puts the camera and what he wants to shoot. Because uh, Sneakers is a movie that has a lot of things in the air, because as I said before, it's part heist movie, it's part hangout movie, but it's also part like a lot of good heist movies, as we've talked about, say, with Silent Partner and um yeah. Uh, like yeah. in the other movie that we talked about in that double loophole loophole yeah. um mm -hmm. heist movies have to have a lot of things in place and they have to be able to fit together like a good tetrix thing if that doesn't happen your heist movie is gonna gonna fall apart and this one does have a lot in it because it's not only the fake nsa agency that cosmo's sitting up to try and get bishop he's basically trying to screw with bishop through the whole entire movie it's you know, it's the, okay, so what is this black button? Like any good spy movie, the MacGuffin is so overblown, but you don't exactly know what it is. All you know is this piece of tech that can pretty much can control everything. It's like the skeleton key that can get into any system and then you can just hack everything. Um, which, which seems is, like is the MacGuffin in so many other movies, really. But this was maybe the first? Yes, I'm pretty sure you know, this Mission Impossible has done MacGuffin? this. Yeah, I think yeah. Mission <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the <laughs> yeah, third one right. with with Hoffman in it um, being way more terrifying than that movie needed to be. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was even one that McGuffin was in that one. I can't remember. Well, <laughs> I know split. they they fake they fake codes in Ghost Protocol. Yes. And yeah. so the codes are a big thing, and yeah. this is all about code breaking, which obviously in a way war games is and even like i said cloak and dagger there's a little bit of like yeah. it's not codes but it's like secret plans mm. it's all about getting the secrets yes it's all too many secrets too many secrets and and this one really yeah i mean um yeah i feel like this 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 uh plot has been has been recycled many many times many, but yeah many, that's yeah. that particular device with um with our guy uh, 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 who's making his debut. This is his first film, Donald Logue. 
Is this his first movie? Oh my this god! Is his first movie. I think this is his debut. And as uh, the mathematician slash as, something or other, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as Gunter, Doctor Gunter yes. Janik. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, just doing. He's just awesome in this as well. Such a yeah. uh, and with Lee Garlington, who's been in like a million things, who's playing his girlfriend, mm. and she had been in all of uh, Phil uh, Alden Robinson's. Um, movies um and so he and she eventually would be in uh i think she's in meet the applegates in new world but um but she uh she's i don't know how many times she's got to play the like sexy vixen role and it was awesome seeing her because you've seen her in like a million things yeah filmography is like steven tobolowski's it's just like they they are the character actors in like every single film so um but yeah so yeah he's got some yeah uh as the guy who can break the code that can break any code. Yeah. And it's kind of, um, and so you don't exactly know what it is or how it works. You just know it's a big deal and they need to get it back because then now the bad guys have it. And yeah, I keep sort of, every time I go into a new character, I'm like, Oh my God, Ben Kingsley. Of course it's goddamn Ben Kingsley. He is the greatest just. And I a mean, ponytail. And the ponytail being amazing and just the way he keeps his everything monotone and very calm just the way when robert redford goes to him oh you lied to me and then he just looks at him and goes you're not my friend he's my friend and points to busfield it's it's this kind of great thing of this guy has been you understand where he's coming from this guy was screwed he was the one who got in trouble mm-hmm. redford didn't he got mm-hmm. away scot-free like he had to go in hiding but he's been doing pretty well for himself considering um because i love the line when he sort of says oh yes i i learned from a few guys from the neighborhood i got them in contact with people because oh organized crime trust me it's not that organized um <laughs> just some of his line deliveries are just so great though i don't think this movie would be even though it's got some of the best perf- amazing performances they're all amazing it has to be the it's the script i mean you can tell it's polished yeah. like to a diamond Um, which I think works because it's just the right amount of quippy, but it moves. It's got all the right pieces in place. You've got Robinson kind of knowing when uh, um, that whole scene where um, uh, Redford is sneaking in with the balloons, but he's got um, River Phoenix kind of yelling. So the guy's distracted and just lets the other guy in without thinking that is Mm -hmm. such a great scene. And then he has to make up a whole thing of why he's again in one take, one take, one take, one take that scene. It's just so great. Yeah. I love his press, press, press the button button. <laughs> press the fucking button. Yeah. Press the button yeah. button. I think Ben Kingsley, uh Robinson was saying like his Cosmos character has been so like, this is what I'm doing. I'm working for the mafia. I'm doing this stuff. I'm building this tech. Mm. And it's the entrance of um <clears throat> Robert Redford that makes him emotional. Yes. And that's when he his emotional side comes out. That's when he starts making some mistakes that's mm. when he starts make you know that's when things start to go wrong for him because he can't help all that emotion comes up mm. you know so <clears throat> which i think is re- really works because cosmo's so cool so calm as soon as redford comes in he's furious yes this this motherfucker got away with everything and i've been sucking shit for years even though he's been doing great yeah the only thing about it if i can nitpick anything is like is he American or I was like, Ben Kingsley's amazing, but I was like, his accent, I was like, 
where the the kid in the beginning had an American accent. I'm sorry, I'm certain. Your mm. accent, Marty, is how he says it. I'm yeah. like, I, I don't know. It's it goes in and out. If it's American, it's a little in and out. Yeah, it does a little bit. I always got the feeling that Cosmo spent a bit of time in Europe. Like it's got that kind of <laughs> yeah, right international right. quality. Yeah, he's he's gone and hang out. He hung out in Europe. I don't know. Maybe he was also practicing <laughs> his uh, Schindler's his German accent around the same time he did. Yeah, was trying to do sneakers because he would. Um, yeah, because Schindler's list would come out the next year. Um, so maybe oh, he's yeah, true. So maybe he was kind of trying to do because usually Ben Kingsley's really good at accents. Um, very no very, very. That, that was the only yeah. thing i was like ah, it's a little he's a little but it's like ben kingsley I, I'm, I'm gonna let that slide yeah i'm not gonna worry about it uh, and he's so great again with redford two of them are excellent together mm. um there's a moment even where he says like where he's up on the rooftop where he really has like a breakdown moment oh yeah you know, he's like, please don't go. Like he he like doesn't want to shoot his friend. And that's the thing that Redford knows that ultimately he's not gonna kill him. Mm. But like, yeah, Ben Kingsley's, I mean, again, another hot take. Ben Kingsley's a great actor. So I don't know about his accent work in this, but he's a great actor. And so he's so good. He can even make his questionable accent not even matter. Hey, disappear like a it, magic trick yeah exactly i'm like oh no i'm making excuses for his for his accent i'm like no this man spent time in europe they, they, he's traveled he right. hasn't yeah. yeah i'm i will i will excuse this away because you're incredible and yeah. uh, it doesn't and it doesn't matter um another guy i want to talk about real quick is david strathairn we haven't got to stay uh, yeah we haven't got to strathairn yet erica <laughs> oh, erica calls uh whenever she sees him she always calls him my guy um, because I, I love David Strathairn and I just, I adore him. I think he is, he is the consummate character actor because he is so good and he is so strong, but he will never take away from the ensemble. He's not trying to shine a light on himself, but when he has his moment, he is going to take it and he's going to be brilliant. And then everyone else get your moment. Like, I'm not trying to take, make this about me. He's just perfect. And he's, he ha is the only guy in this cast who had to audition. He auditioned for this part. Because mm, he's so. not, yeah, because he's not those other guys. And um, he right. still isn't. I mean, I didn't even know he was a Nightmare Alley. And then when he showed up, I'm like, oh, Strathurn. And I'm like, oh, of course. And he's the best thing in the movie. I mean, his scenes about when he's with Bradley Cooper teaching him how to do all the tricks um, to be a, a, a carny, and then his end in that movie, I'm just like, Oh, Strathern, you just, you just rules. You just, yeah. And you're right. He doesn't take away from anyone else. He knows how to get his moments, but he knows not to take away anyone else. So that's why he's so great when you've got the group scenes and he's just the one doing his business, but yet you can still focus on Sidney Poitier, Dan Aykroyd and, and everything else. And he does kind of change his blindness sometimes. Like sometimes he's cross-eyed the next Thing he's looking straight at the person he's talking to, and again, yeah, tiny nitpicks that don't actually matter. Sure, but sure. yeah, it's that scene when he has to drive is amazing. <laughs> so I'm driving amazing. backwards. I know. Yeah. It, I just think he's so good, and I always think like that guy was in Good Night, Good Luck, nominated for an Oscar, and then he just like goes back to being just a dude in movies. Yeah. Like he he did not take that and say, okay, well, like he didn't have a sit down with his reps and go like, how do we uh, start making some more Strathairn vehicles? 
you know like he just was like i'll just go back to acting now yeah. i'm just gonna act and stuff i'm not you know i don't have to make it all about me like he he and then he's just still just popping up and stuff popping yeah. up in born movies and just like you know acting just doing what he always has done yes and it, it, i just think he is so good in literally everything he does and he's amazing in this um and uh you know you got to think too i know he certainly had a career before this and was certainly doing movies before oh, this but again yeah. he auditioned and gets in this movie with redford and poitier and you know uh Aykroyd and river phoenix and mary mcdonald though mm -hmm. he had done mate one with her as well yeah because so he, he was, was a john sales guy isn't he he worked a lot with yeah, john sales yeah. yeah yeah so but you know so but i just i just i just adore davis for theron so i just had to say it i think that guy is fantastic in everything and i love seeing him in it pop up in any movie I'm very satisfied. Yeah, he does add a different texture. And the fact that he is playing blind, like the fact when he's getting Redford to remember when, because I love the scene when Redford's in the boot. It's just this, he's very still, it's just the stark light. Um, and the script is so good that it just, everything leads onto one another. So as soon as they go, well, I don't know where I was going. And Strathairn's like, well, what did it sound like? And then they get the bridge. It's like, okay, so it was no foghorn, so it wasn't the Golden Gate wasn't a tunnel so it wasn't this one okay so it leaves two bridges okay so they kind of counted down to how many bumps were in the bridge i'm like oh that's so goddamn genius <laughs> it's great too that they picked that particular bridge because having lived in the bay area that mm. bridge is kind of more south bay oh yeah more because they have immediately eliminated the golden gate and the bay bridge and so when you actually go out to the fake toy company that is the platonic yeah Cosmos business yeah so once they go out there, there's hills and mountains around there because, of course, they shot the the location for that is in Simi Valley, California, yeah. which is not at all the Bay Area. Yeah. And so, so, uh, but I think using that bridge going out to there, you're like, well, who knows what's out there? Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, no one goes <laughs> to that part of the Bay Area unless you live there. So you're just like, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. Sort of, sort of covers that a little bit. But sometimes, if you're keeping thinking this is a San Francisco movie. Mm um seeing th uh, that that building it's a terrific looking building i it's great looking great like black yeah. windows and all this stuff but it's like there are hills up there and there's 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 not normally hills surrounding a valley like san francisco just doesn't have a lot of real estate the bay the bay area just doesn't have that kind of uh, real estate in a lot of places to be able to have that that's more of a southern california thing so yeah um but it's i think it, it covers it by taking that one bridge that I remember my old roommate used to take that bridge to go out because uh, there was a uh, Krispy Kreme that had opened and it was the closest one. Uh. <laughs> so you had to drive a, a real distance to go get Krispy Kreme. And I yeah. always was like, that's an hour drive, bro. That's a lot for, for, for a donut. But, for, yeah, that is a lot for a donut, especially Krispy he brought Kreme. Us, he brought us a bunch of those donuts and they were damn good. Mm. So I was like, well, thank you for doing that, you American hero. <laughs> no, I do love the shot of when Redford's like pushed out of the car and he stands up and it's that hill that you can see directly onto Alcatraz. I'm like, ah, oh, it's a good shot. <laughs> it is. And I'm, but I'm confused still watching it as a former person that lived in the, mm. uh, a, a former resident, because you see, it's a beautiful shot when he's kicked out of the car. Mm. When he gets up out of the car, then he looks down the hill down to Coit Tower. It's like, well, that's two different areas and so i'm not sure what well i don't know somebody who is maybe more of a uh somebody who grew up there might might tell me that this all worked but to me i'm like 
I don't know if that's possible to get that kind of shot of Alcatraz and turn around and look down to Koi Tower because yeah. they're two different, but whatever, whatever. It's a beautiful shot. Yes. The shot's beautiful. The and shot's that's beautiful. Often, it may not make sense. San <laughs> when it comes to San Francisco set movies, that's often the case. And it's often the complaint of people that live in San Francisco because they will literally be driving down a famous road and then they'll get out and they're in a totally different part of town. Oh, that and happens. that's just... Just happens all. It's just how it is. That's what happens to Melbourne movies. You're like past a very kind of this very uh, um, CBD in, in the central business district. You pass down, and then all of a sudden they're in a, like a three a suburb three things out. And you're like, yeah, that that's just <laughs> yeah, that's just not that's not possible. That's but, not possible. But yeah, yeah, that shot with Alcatraz in the background is absolutely gorgeous yeah. and uh, incredible. The the shots they get of San Francisco really make me miss that town for sure they have a lot so that old shot too where he it's down in the embarcadero right right underneath the bay bridge mm. where he drops off the box to the fake nsa guys and doesn't know that they're fake nsa guys mm. yet so that is like right there by by that area where they also shot uh fearless um some some of the scenes there mm. um when i graduated from college we had uh we went to a restaurant there to celebrate with my family so that like like there's a literally it's a cool little area the embarcadero there it's not far from alcatraz too mm. if you keep going down a little bit uh uh you know uh down down the down the road you'll get to that you know pier 39 all that stuff but uh, um yeah, but but yeah I mean, it's, a, it's cool to see some of those parts of, of town because they did not shoot most of the movie in, in San Francisco. They only shot small bits of it, enough for it to make it feel like San Francisco mm. still. But I mean, it's 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 basically all L.A., a lot of universal backlot stuff and studios. It, San Francisco is just one of those really pretty towns. So when you do see a really mm -hmm. gorgeous shot of it, like, Oh yeah, San Francisco. San Francisco is just really pretty. Like it is, especially it when is. you are getting those when you're walking around. I've only been there once, so this was, it was like for three days. So I know my means an expert, but I just remember walking around the harbor and just looking up and there's Alcatraz, and then walking around and looking at the the Golden Gate Bridge or the pier and kind of all then turning around and then going, ah, I can't see the Golden Gate. Oh, it's gonna rain. <laughs> Yeah. Once, once that Golden Gate Bridge was my lesson from San Francisco. Once that Golden Gate Bridge is gone in the fog, it's gonna, it's gonna turn nasty. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I went to school in San Francisco. I went to college mm. there, and the college that the at the where I went mm. is at the bottom of the city, just like right, be, right at the end of the the yeah. The, it's the city and county is one and the same in mm. San Francisco. So it's at the bottom of the city and county. And uh, and you're behind this big hill called Twin Peaks, and the fog would come in and just sit. And if you go over the hill, it'd be foggy and everything, and just mm. miserable at the school. And you go over the hill and you go to the other side, and all of a sudden it's just this beautiful, gorgeous, uh, sunny paradise. Yeah. <laughs> but you're like, oh my shit, where I am at the school, it's just like this foggy, sad, dreary place. Yeah. So uh, it would always like, oh, right, I have to get out of here. I have to get on the other side of the hill because the fog just sits here because it doesn't go beyond this hill. No. Fog just likes to sit in places. Um, but yeah, that's, but <laughs> yeah. San Francisco is so pretty. So I love when movies are set in San Francisco because I'm just like, oh, yeah. oh, just such a pretty place. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's it's beautiful. I, I wish uh, more more movies would get shot there. That would be a little bit more affordable to do so. It's yeah. a great place to go shoot a movie. Yeah, it really, really is. Um, anything else you want to say about sneakers before we move on to Mission Impossible? 
Um, just wanted to say we, we've talked about so much about how everybody's really good. I mentioned mm. we mentioned that uh, both that scene um, where he's on, you know shooting around the, on the coffee table, mm. and he and I said he conferred with his editor, and I just wanted to say his editor is Tom Rolf, uh, who had edited The French Connection, Taxi Driver, Nine and a Half Weeks, The Right Stuff, and War Games, amongst many others. So he knows what he's doing. <laughs> He's yeah, he's passed on now, but my God, I was like, well, you got a great script. I think an underrated director. You've got one of the best casts ever assembled. Yeah. And you have an editor, even a great uh, uh, mm. composer for your score. You've got a great DP. Your editor is just world class. Like, that's why this movie is just terrific. It's like, it, it, and I still feel it's a touch underrated. I think I it like is. Another... It doesn't get talked about as much as I thought a movie, especially when you say to someone, D Sneakers, the movie from 92, their instant reaction is like, oh, I love that movie. It's not, Yeah. it's not a, oh yeah, it's an instant, oh, I remember that movie. I remember loving it. it but it's not something that I think gets rewatched as much as it should do because it is just, a, it's a movie where everything comes together perfectly. Yeah, it's. I think if you say too many secrets, people are going to know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. But if they know the movie, but it's one of those like if you know, you know. But if you don't, like, you know, again, when when you have when you have people on the show, and I, when I listen to episodes of the of your of your podcast, I'm always like writing down movies, like adding them to the watch list. So mm. what I'm hoping from adding this, which I think works, this works great with Mission Impossible. But what I hope is that if people haven't you know, watch sneakers, like watch sneakers. Like this is an absolutely delightful movie from beginning to end. It's, you get to see um, Redford and Sidney Poitier, like also do, you get to see like what masters they are of comedy. Yeah, Sidney Poitier is hilarious. Um, yeah. Just when he sort of goes, talking to James Earl Jones at the end, he goes, I've never taken my wife to Europe. And he's just listing all these countries. And I'm like, Tahiti. And it's like, Tahiti is not in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a great moment when they're watching um, Donald Logue's office mm. and Lee Garlington comes in and they start getting a little romantic. Mm. And, um, you know, you see uh, uh, Robert Redford looking through their binoculars at this and immediately over shoulder, there's River Phoenix going, can I look? <laughs> and I think it was even in the trailer. And then, like, Sidney Poitier gets him out of the way. He's like, get out of here. Grow up. What are you talking mm. Get out of here. Go, move away. Move away. And then he, like, takes a beat. And then he says to Redford, and he's like, can I take a look? <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's, like, so perfect. And I watched it again the other night, and I just laughed out loud. I was like, Sidney Poitier is just amazing. And he doesn't, mm. you know, he, he's so good. And I yeah. think we think of him a lot from dramas. But, yes. my God, his skill as a comedian I think we do know Robert Redford's skill as a comedian, but again, we have seen him in so much dramas that it was like, this is such a reminder, like, oh, these guys are like master comedians, not just Dan Aykroyd. These guys are like top of the line comedians. They are hilarious in this. Yeah. Um, terrific. Like, and the timing from Redford and a lot of these things, particularly the scenes where they're talking to him through his, uh, his the microphone in his ear, and he's like relaying what they're saying. Yeah. His timing is amazing in that scene. It's so good. And even when he's like finding the two guys who've got him like at gunpoint, you forgot, oh yeah, he's also a badass as well. Because again, we know him from dramas, but he could have right. 
easily right. being an action star, a comedian. He was kind of one of those guys who could kind of do everything. And he, when he directed, he did actually direct a few Richard Pryor, um, Gene um, Wilder. No, yeah, Wilder. Yeah, Gene yeah. Wilder, yeah. I was right. going to say Hackman. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's yeah. not right. Uh- <laughs> Would have been interesting, though. Would have been yeah. very... I, I would watch. Would watch. Would very much watch. <laughs> but yeah, he did a few Gene Wilder, um, Richard Pryor movies. So he obviously yeah. did love comedy. And just to sort of see yeah. him be kind of playful, it was... It's nice, because again, to serve with love, um, you know, Heat of the Night, even though he does get to be a bit funny with Rod Steiger, because he has to deal with the Rod Steiger in that movie, which yeah. I'm guessing was a lot. Um yeah. And on and off camera, I have to imagine. Yeah. Um, Rod Steiger is a lot. But yeah. Terrific. Amazing. I love a good Rod Steiger performance. He's always doing something unusual. So but unusual. Had, had to be a lot. Had to, yeah. That he, his, his performances are always so extra that it's kind of like, yeah. whoa, okay. I mean, I love yeah. Rod Steiger. Like, every time he shows up, I'm like, yes, what's he going to do? It's going to be insane, isn't it? Um, yeah. But... Yeah, so to get to see him to be kind of playful is really nice. And him and Redford have a really nice um, chemistry, whether they probably knew each other beforehand. I'm guessing, I don't think they were ever in a movie before, but they would have had to at least kind of be in the same circles, I'm guessing, a little bit. Yeah, maybe? I'm trying to think. I, I don't know if they've been in another movie. They may, and so yeah. if, if they if they are, people are... Screaming at us right now. Screaming so. at us. Screaming at their phones going, yeah. God damn you idiots. And I'm sorry if we, if, if there is one and I'm not remembering. Yeah. It, but but they, I, it feels like everybody showed up. As you're saying, the script, I think it, you were saying the script is really tight. And I, I think it is too. And I think people read that and these actors are like, we're, sh- we're showing up to play. Yeah. Because you can always and... tell when an actor is attacking a script. And you can tell it's been rehearsed as well. I miss, um, not that I miss rehearsals, movies that rehearse, but you can tell this is because there's a patter that's almost musical in the way they talk to each other. It's It's got yeah. a rhythm to it, yeah. And and Robinson was saying that a lot of times when, when you know, Sidney Poitier and some of the other guys would not have their lines, it would be at the cameras on somebody else, mm. they would show up that day and just read their lines off camera. Yeah. And I think so. I think there's also a lot of like, mutual admiration society happening where everyone's like no 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 we're all here for one another yeah this is not a group you want to like much respect to all involved here kind of things and it shows in the movie yeah it um, really does and and Phil Alden Robinson just because I'm I'm trying to really really uh, uh prop this guy up after this makes a uh Jack Ryan movie oh he, he makes some he makes a sum of all fears. Uh, he does. Ben, he does the he does the Ben Affleck one, which I really I, I don't hate. I actually quite yeah. I don't either. I don't mm. either. I'm so glad you said that. I don't think it is not the best Jack Ryan movie. No, it is not the worst Jack Ryan. No, movie. <laughs> but I will say that I bought. I just bought it like a DVD for nothing, mm. and I, I and I was just you know. Just to like give it a watch, I hadn't seen it. I don't think I'd seen it before. Or maybe I hadn't just hadn't seen mm. it in forever. And then I listened to the commentary, and the commentary is with John Clancy. Oh, and wow. it's Phil Alden Robinson and John Clancy, and he is Clancy is like talking shit about all the decisions they made. We're like, well, this is not the wrong. This is not how correct military procedure. And he's like knocking everything down, but it's amazing. He's he's like 
at turns very nice, obviously mm. likes Phil Alden Robinson, but then can't help but be like a nitpicky crank. And the way Phil handles it is so beautiful. It's such a great listen. Like, oh. I highly recommend listening to that commentary. It's awesome. And not a bad Jack Ryan movie. Not a terrible one. Yeah, I had a weekend once where I just went all through the Jack Ryans, from Hunt from Red October through to um, the one with Chris Pine. And I kind of like, I mean, yes, as much as how jingoistic those movies can really get, I kind of like the Jack Ryan movies. There's something very comforting oh, yeah. about them. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I like yeah. them too. In fact, I, I I love The Hunt for Red October. Oh, yeah. Well, that's and just that was Hunt a for Red October. <laughs> yes. big, big hit in our house. Our um, house as well. Because, yep. Because it also had Sean Connery. Mm. So Sean Connery ruled in my house growing up. Scottish dad and all. Mm. So anything Sean Connery. But the thing I loved about that movie too was that Alec Baldwin was an appropriate age because yes. he not only is an analyst who is a fish out of water, but he's also young. Yeah. So when he even puts the like the dress uniform on to go on the sub, mm. thinking that this is going to demand respect because he has all the bars, he's so young they don't give a shit about him. They're like, "You're a punk ass kid," as far as we're all concerned. So when they replace him with Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford, and I love Harrison Ford. Indiana Jones, Han Solo, obviously enormous uh, part of my childhood. Yes. But but he's a little too old. He's got too much authority for Jack Ryan. He's a yeah, he's yeah. a little too old. So the thing about going back to Affleck and even go then to Chris Pine is they went back to the appropriate age yeah. of who he is. Yeah. Um, and even Krasinski in the TV show, I think, is the appropriate yeah. age. Yeah, because when... The right yeah, when Harrison Ford comes in and tells you what to do, you're like, yes, you are Harrison yeah. Ford. I am... he, he is Air Force One, like, get off my plane. Yes. He is, like, you know, that is, yeah. So when he comes in, he's just Jack Ryan. Oh, I'm just an analyst. What do I, you know, I'm just learning about, all... it's like, it's something that doesn't quite work. Of course, it works because it's Harrison Ford and yes. he's great. But, like, I just, that's where I just was like, ah, I hate to say it, but maybe not Harrison Ford. I hate, I hate to even have those words come out of my mouth, but... Well, he... Like it's, you know, I, I know there was some issue with Alec Baldwin. I don't remember what it was that they didn't have him in the next movie, mm. but I was like, I just don't know. If, I don't know if we need Har Harrison Ford in this one. I, I would have liked to to see someone else. That said, they're not terrible movies. The, the his mm. Jack Ryan movies, they're, they're, they're pretty good. Mm. No, they are pretty good. I generally like all of them. Um, And I did like the, um the Ben Affleck one, just because I think he feels the most fish out of water because he's mm -hmm. Ben Affleck's always got that, um, kind of what what am I doing again? Kind of look about him, which I yeah. think actually works for for a for a Jack Ryan Ryan movie. Um, but having uh, James Earl Jones speaking of in in those movies, I think it's just perfect, just because that man can do no wrong. Um, but yeah, no sneakers is one of those movies that I think people should watch more often. I think it is kind of a classic, but not as much as a classic as I think it should be because. I think people look at it thinking it's going to be a dad movie. And as someone who loves a dad movie, like I yeah. will go see Ford yeah. versus Ferrari. I will go enjoy Top Gun, which is also very much a dad movie, um, mm -hmm. even though it's making all the money at the moment. I think people look at it and go, well, Sneakers is going to be a, a dad movie and they put River Phoenix in it. I'm like going, it's actually not as much as a dad movie as you think it's going to be. There's a lightness to it, a sweetness. There's, there's other things going on that everyone can like. You just watch it and go, yeah, this is a great movie. This is just yeah, yeah. It's not flashy, um, but it's very intricate. It's not trying to break new ground, though. It it does what it 
does really well. So no, it's um, and they're all the yeah, as you said, all the performance, all the actors came to play because they knew they had a good script, um, and they wanted to attack at it. And you can tell that they all are, and they all work really well together. And I think you know when you're running the ship and you're setting a good tone, like I think it, there's a lot of that. It all comes from the top down. I just think this is like some you know I think in general that's why movies are so great is that they're magic tricks yeah the fact that they all come together and they're great is oftentimes just just i don't know divine intervention sometimes where just all the right things happen robert redford wasn't their first thought but he couldn't there couldn't be a single other person other than him no i can't I mean, imagine obviously there's anyone. 10 years of writing a script <laughs> but like th this there's a lot of like just stuff that has to happen for things to come together even the script coming together at the right time for to get this amazing cast and uh, this is one of those movies where it just everything, it everything hums and sings and works. Uh, it, it is, you know, at an optimum level. This is just like, you know, um, it's just what it may be a perfect movie, as you were saying. I think this it is. May be a perfect movie. Yeah. And I remember seeing it for the first time. Still, I still see it, and I still go, God, I wish we had sneakers too. And I know sneakers too wouldn't have been as good, but I still. And still part of me wants more just because I love this group. I mm. love movies about like disparate people, you know, being uh, working together within a group, like group context movies where yeah. they're having to like work together. And maybe they don't always do it really well. They're, these guys aren't smooth. Not everything goes perfectly. They make a lot of mistakes along the oh, way. And they're yeah. older, yes. they're older men. So you, are like these are older guys still making mistakes yes <laughs> still can't figure out like romantic romantic relationships nope. i didn't realize how real real that was yeah. <laughs> when i saw it as a kid it's like how come they can't figure this shit out oh because um, you never do because <laughs> you never do because you're constantly going still making mistakes and going oh why did i do that yeah no um, i mean there's a great plan when um, Robert Redford just has River Phoenix bust through the ceiling. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. his plan. It's just like, yeah. these, these, this is not, these are not guys, these are not geniuses. <laughs> these are guys who are kind of sitting by their pants. And so when he's got a gun to right. his thing, he's like, Carl, now. <laughs> he's like, I don't yeah. think you realize how hard that was to do. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, dude, jump through it faster. Why yeah. You... yeah, it's, <laughs> It's 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 really it's just a delightful movie. It's just terrific, and uh, it should be considered a classic. It is yeah. by me, I think by us, if yes. I may be so bold. Yes, um, a classic, and I love a good team movie and a and a team movie that's not perfect. Yeah, uh, and that even kind of describes the next movie. Yeah, I was actually thinking. Speaking of a magic trick, where all the tricks are shown to you, like <laughs> that's what I love about De Palma is that. He, He's going to show you how the magic trick works. Um, yeah. He's not. He's not mm -hmm. one to, to hide anything. Um, you good to go no. straight on to um, to Mission Impossible? Heck yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Um, yeah, let's go on to um, where it all started. I don't even think Tom Cruise expected, or maybe he did. I think this man, Tom Cruise, is a man who has lofty ambitions, but I don't think even he expected to completely know where this franchise would go and exactly from its beginnings to where it is with uh, Henry uh, Henry Cavell um, cocking his fists and everyone yeah. getting all out, all out yeah. excited of, as soon as there's a trailer and you see Tom Cruise in the car with no door and jumping off a cliff and everyone's like going, fuck yes. And that is of course yeah. the original Mission Impossible.
greatest themes, uh, greatest still greatest theme music of all time. And that was done Absolutely. in 50, that was done in 60, back in 66. So those guys. Lalo Schifrin. Yeah, Lalo Schifrin, well done. Who, who's done a lot of other great scores, but yeah. man, the theme song to Mission Impossible is just a classic and this is a movie i show these movies to my kids yeah. and then, so i show i watched this again with the kids and they're going around the house singing that theme song yeah because it's, it's just catchy it is all hell uh, it's so... just and it gets you excited and you're just like hell yeah every yes. time it really really does no matter what kind of version because everyone has their own different version sure, of how sure. they're going to play that song but it mm -hmm. is Oh my God, this movie. The, the end credits for this one yeah. has a totally different version that Eric and I, once we finished, jumped up and started really bad mom and dad dancing to to embarrass our children. <laughs> which worked like a charm because yeah. they were in, uh, our daughter was diverting her eyes from us, was like, you guys are gross and weird. And, <laughs> but still a great version. Not my favorite version. Nope. But a great version. It's still a great version. Get up and dance. Yes. be weird about it yeah. because because <laughs> it takes everyone back because of... it takes everyone back to 1996 <laughs> <laughs> or even further did, did you watch the tv show did you I, were yeah you the 80s any of that? yeah i did i actually watched the when it was because it was still i don't know if it stopped for a little while but i was definitely watching it in the 80s and i know yeah. um, a couple of people who were from the 60s show were still in the 80s version there's Which, the 80s version, yeah, the second version. Yeah. And a couple of those people, like, still, what, Peter Graves, I think, was still... Peter Graves was still there and Yeah, he was still yeah. there. And um, uh, so, the, yeah, they had a little bit of that the crossover. Mm. They didn't then bring back Leonard Nimoy or some of the other people that were in the original cast. But I'd seen a lot of those original shows, too, because they would... We didn't have cable then, but they would be rebroadcast on, like, UHF channels mm. and stuff. And so I saw a lot of the original the original shows as well, which I mm. always thought were really interesting. Because again, a, assembling a crew of people and everybody has their own their own uh, special skills. Yes, and together they combine to be able to pull off a mission. That kind of story from just seeing the original show, I love movies about that. You know, um, love them. Love I love it. a movie that has that kind of, uh, it has any part of that chemistry. Yeah. I'm probably in, you know, throw yeah. in a heist or two, even better. Throw in a, a crazy villain. Uh, you know, I'm already sold, but I'm even more sold. Yeah, know? exactly. Um, oh, yeah. Also, Phil Morris stayed on for the 80s. Yes, yes, the of 80s run. Phil Morris and, um, uh, what's his name? Yeah. Peter Lupus. Peter Lupus, yeah. Peter Lupus in there too? Yeah. Yeah. So there was definitely a few. Like, they were definitely, it was kind of one of those shows where they're like, oh, we know the heritage of this of this show yeah because i watch all i think almost all of the 80s version but yeah I me too was catch would catch on occasion not a lot but i mm. would catch it and then it was on for a while at prime right before the pandemic started i watched through most of the first season because it was all on amazon prime oh wow uh, and that's the season where it was not peter graves it was stephen hill originally who was in the first season yeah um he of course went on to like law and order and he was like the head lawyer Mm. for like a long long time in in the law and order show mm. um and but he he was there he led the team in the first season and uh because so martin landau was also that. in the first few seasons wasn't he he and his wife mm. um barbara kane yeah yeah that? i think so yeah uh they they were through the first three seasons mm. and then they didn't come back because they didn't get paid more money i believe yeah so they wanted more money and they didn't get it 
uh, because they were cutting the budget of the show. So then they left. And I think Leonard Nimoy joined after Star Trek was mm. canceled. Ah, so, yeah. And then they tried to get Sam Elliott in there. Oh, you'd be great. <laughs> Sam Elliott was in part of, I think, their fifth season. Yeah. And they were trying to get rid of Peter Lupus because they didn't think he was a great actor. So they were trying to get uh, Sam Elliott to to, to mm. uh, replace him. But fans were like, what are you doing? We love this guy. No, it is so they did yeah. they didn't change. They didn't uh, get rid of him. And so he doesn't end up becoming a permanent member of the cast. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's this fascinating. And people's, I was looking back, uh, we'll get into it soon, but I was looking at reactions back in 96 to not to mission impossible. Cause I couldn't, because that reaction then is very different to how people think of the franchise now. And even I think almost forgot, had forgotten the sh- that it was a show. Uh, and mm-hmm, this was very mm-hmm. much on the bandwagon of let's just remake every single 1950s and 60s television show we can and make them into a movie. Right. 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 Uh, it was that phase. Um, but before we get into it, what is going to curtains are reopening? What is going to be your first trail before we start hearing that amazing score? <laughs> <laughs> um well okay so maybe somebody has chosen this before um mm-hmm. and i tried to think of something else but i couldn't and i because i'm thinking of old tv shows that were turned into a, a movie yep so i had to go with brian de palma's the untouchables i have sworn to put this man away with any and all legal means at my disposal and i will do so sean connery is jimmy malone you want to get capone here's how you get him he pulls a knife you pull a gun, he sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. You just joined the Treasury Department, son. Everybody knows where the booze is. The problem isn't finding it. Let's do some good! The problem is who wants to cross the pond. Somebody messes with me, I'm gonna mess with him. You carry a badge? Yes. Carry a gun. You fellas are untouchable. Is that the thing? No one can get to you. Hey, everybody can be gotten to. You can't not because, as I said, I think at the top, Brian De Palma made the two greatest TV adaptions of all time. Mission Impossible and The Untouchables. Speaking of amazing scores, by the way, um, I still think the score to The Untouchables is still one of my favorite Ennio and Moncourt. One of, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Um, so, so terrific. And this is another tape that we just wore out as kids. Yeah. I saw that movie so many times. Saw in the theater, saw the Untouchables yeah. in the theater with my parents. Yes. They took us to that. <laughs> they didn't know any better. Um, and again, this is another, I, you know, I'm putting together a team of people that have certain skills to like, yes. dude, we got a sharpshooter. Mm. We've got the nerdy guy. We've got the, the accountant. Old, <laughs> yeah, the accountant. On. We can get we've him got, on a- get them on taxes and it was like shut up nerd <laughs> yeah and and i was so like when i first saw the untouchables i was so into it i got a book about the untouchables and i read through it and then i found out there was like nine of these guys in the special unit there was a ton of dudes i was like why do they only have four in the movie yeah i hadn't seen a lot of that tv show mm. so i didn't see a lot of that so i had i was i knew it was a tv show but i wasn't as aware of it um so i read all about it and then i was like oh the movie's a little bit more exciting than some of the more salacious stories and the real untouchables but i read a whole book about it It, like really the movie just rocked my world as a kid and i was like this is incredible this this is like a real thing this kind of happened this group of guys came together 
they had to get these different dudes and then take down Al Capone. And so when I'm thinking of another team that has to come together and, you know, and take down their boss who has turned on them. Um, <laughs> I just thought, yeah, I, I got to go with the untouchables. Uh, I know that you're going to talk about untouchables at some point, but I, I just uh, had to play the trailer. It's sometimes you have to be as a, cause yeah, the untouchables is such a great movie. I think we already have talked talked about it and we mm-hmm. just kept going, God, this is such a good movie because it is i mean it's got of course one of the greatest one lines of you know um if you know he puts you one of he puts one of your guys in the hospital you put one of them in the morgue because that's the chicago way of that great sean connery uh just with his scottish lilt um de niro going you know i want his i want him dead i want his family dead i want to go yeah oh yeah burn to the ground i'm gonna go piss on it de niro Niro just just going off yeah that whole base the baseball scene Basically, um, you guys probably went over this, but mm. um, um, Mamet going and rewriting that scene, like at the secretary's desk, because he didn't like to do rewrites. I read a book. I he think, was doing it under producer. the table almost. He was doing it on set on that day or something like that, wasn't <laughs> no, it? No, he did it. He did it before. They were like, "We need a scene," and they talked about the scene where he takes the baseball bat, and he went in, and the secretary was at lunch, and yeah. he took her typewriter and he wrote that scene. He's like, yeah. "There," because he hates to rewrite, and he hates. He's always like. I'll write your script, but I don't want, I'm not going to do a rewrite. So then, then they had to keep going back to him going, they wanted two other scenes. So I mm. think they, they got that scene from him. And I think they got something else to cover where ZD is going, how he's going to the opera. I think that the, oh, my memory's faded yeah. a little bit, but I, yeah. I read this book from Art Linson and uh, who I believe produced it. And so uh, he was talking about that, but, but incredible stories about Mamet. If, uh, if you're, if you're at all interested, but yeah, like he wrote that scene just in at a lunch during a lunch hour. I mean, one of the most classic scenes. It is. It's... In cinematic history. Yeah. And it's just like, because a secretary went out to eat, he's like, fine, I'll, I'll sit at her desk and I'll just type up one of the best scenes ever in movies. Goddamn Mammoth. No it's, big deal. Like yeah, fucking Mammoth. It's, because it's one of the, I think it's one of those bases based on urban legends about Capone, that he was at a dinner, he was telling a story. Right, and he just, right. He killed, he pretty much, I don't know if he killed him, but he bit the shit out of a guy in front of everyone. Because he was, that's, he was the and, toughest guy in town. Uh, and he wasn't going to let anyone. So he would often show his kind of manliness and his powerfulness by just like randomly killing someone in front of everyone. But yeah, that seems amazing. There are so many amazing scenes. And just brutally gory too. Like yeah. man, I've seen that movie so many times as a child. That blood just spilling on the table is like, it. I've, I mean, it's iconic and it's on. It's so. Uh, it is so affecting. It's yes. so like holy shit he, he just beat the shit out of this dude yeah and it's he's kind of likable before that moment you don't think he's as dangerous within right. the movie context if you know capone you know that he was a very dangerous man but if you're in the within the movie sense he's just this jolly guy who's like you get the mm-hmm. sense that it is he's orchestrating shady shit but you don't actually know how deadly he is until he starts yeah to that moment he's kind of laughing as he's one step ahead like yeah sure sure yeah you one day you'll get me and then you see him like the true evil yes and you're like oh my god we've got to get this guy you got to get this guy because even yeah because i love how the characters are just like yeah drinking isn't that bad but it's the law so we need to follow the law and the first thing is what prohibition's apparently going to be over what's what are you going to do elliot ness he's like well i'm going to have a drink (laughs) it's legal now (laughs) Uh, 
so many things that the one speaking of uh, a single take the 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 killing of uh, of Sean Connery in that movie. Oh my god, the king of single uh, takes! Just unbelievable but... scene, like just the way he's just like bleeding out, and like you know once he's shot and Con- uh, um, uh, Kevin Costner shows up. I mean, just like heart and the music of that scene oh. just breaks your heart in two. Like unbelievable work from Morricone, unbelievable. It really does. Then that is just it is the perfect trailer to show in front of this one. It just sets up the mood. Um, I'm yeah. gonna slow oh, it down. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Gonna... Good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go for a TV miniseries for, for BBC. <laughs> Another spy story, but I'm going to go yeah. for the uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy from 1979, Alec nice. Guinness. I've got a story to tell you. It's all about spies. And if it's true, you boys are going to need a whole new organization. We have a mole, Jim. London. Very near the top. He's an old fox, the most cunning of them all at the same time. Trust no one. No one. I grew up with this as a, as a kid. This was, oh, I remember being on TV a lot. Like they'd have it over, if they just needed two nights, they'd go, ah, show the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy miniseries again. Because I think it was like one or two, it was two nights. It was kind of, it was, I was a little bit older because I think I'd already had my mind blown by dad showing me um, Lawrence of Arabia. And I'm like, why is Alec Guinness not, what is he doing in this? I thought he was Obi-Wan yeah. Kenobi. And yeah. then realizing that <laughs> he had all this, he is. <laughs> yeah, it's all he is. When you, there's, there's always a He's moment. He's frozen in amber to, to, gener- <laughs> to a generation as Obi-Wan Kenobi. He, he really did nothing is. else. <laughs> he did nothing else. There's always that moment in your childhood when innocence is lost, when you realize Obi-Wan Kenobi had a career outside Star Wars. <laughs> it's, it's They just found this old man and cast him. <laughs> they were like, you're perfect. What have you been doing your whole life? Yeah, you're, you're it. Uh, you don't realize that he's a steamed British actor who used to work with David Lean a lot and was an amazing comic um, actor. Um, You don't realize that, but no, he's playing George Smiley. It is literally just a series of conversations. But and I generally do like the 2011 a movie with um, Gary Oldman. I do too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really do. I've like actually that movie. not seen the show. I'd like. To, I'd really like to see the uh, the, the you know the BBC show that you're yeah, talking about. It's really. I, really, I've only yeah. seen the movie version. Yeah, I mean the movie version is a lot of conversations because that's generally what the book is. It's yeah. George Smiley is tasked with finding a uh, MI5 mole. MI MI no MI yeah MI5 mole within hmm, that's, and. Uh, where, that's odd. Does That's that it. come up in, in, in the movie we're about to talk I about? I think so, it does. <laughs> Funnily enough, um, there's a mole. Like The, the amount of times they there's say always, mole in this There's movie. always a mole. There's always a mole. The amount of times always. they do say mole in uh, Mission Impossible, you could get drunk by doing a drinking game every time they say <laughs> mole. Um, it's, but it's just really good. It is just Alec Guinness showing no emotion. He's got the big glasses on because mm. that's why um, Gary Oldman had the big glasses. Um, in the movie and just talking to a whole bunch of different people getting a completely different story every single time and then through that piecing together what is actually going on it is you watch it for Guinness it's got some amazing British actors around that time but it's the Guinness show and yeah watching that you're like oh yeah such a good actor yeah it it, it my dad loves uh spy stuff and of course he had read he'd read a lot of uh, John Le Carre but Mm -hmm. 
but I have always asked him because I haven't read a lot of that stuff, but my dad read all the like Bond books and, you know, he, all the Clancy stuff. And I mean, he's read all that stuff mm. and he's not, he doesn't love look right. And I think a lot of it is just because he is, can be a bit, it can be a bit laborious. Yeah. Cause John le Carre was one of those, it, actually he was like, like John Clancy sort of uh, picking at all the things that were wrong in, um, that yeah yeah some of all fears yeah some of all fears it's like no yeah spy work is this it is very yeah. beige it is very just being very innocuous you're not like james bond where you're going around in the tux being very flashy making yourself known you're the guy who hides in the background and doesn't get noticed so it is a lot of that it is a lot of just people sitting and waiting um because mm-hmm. i've read a few mm-hmm. as well and i tend to like the beige um british mi5 kind of sitting around waiting for something to happen or just suggesting something that might become bigger later kind of thing. It's a lot, it's a lot the, of that. I thought the movie did a good job of that is what the story is. And it didn't change that, Mm-mm. but still trying to make that seem a bit tense. Yeah. And again, we've talked about a little bit of that in sneakers and we'll talk about how tension is built in, in this, but like that is a tricky thing when you're just interviewing and you're trying to find the inconsistencies. It's yeah. hard to make an exciting thrilling movie out of it you obviously the dialogue can be really good and interesting and the acting really stellar but that still is a lot to try to make that really interesting i thought the movie did a good job of taking what is you you could say a bit dry of material mm-hmm. and kind of making it really interesting and oldman is obviously hot take a very good actor yes. i don't know if anyone's ever said this but he's very good he's He's gonna make us some something of himself. Just you wait. I think he will. I think he's. I think he's got a, a bit of a promise in his future. That guy. Yeah. yeah no, he's yeah. really good. He's and pretty good, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Same with Alec Guinness. <laughs> got a lot of promise. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot of. Well, he does. He certainly does. Yes. Oh, he's, That's he's, great, though. He's. Yeah. He is more than Star Wars because I think people forget that he actually was one of the great British actors before he got oh, the job sure. as, as Obi-Wan yeah. Kenobi. This was because it was a bit of a lull in his career. He needed money and he was like, fine, I'll play the desert wizard. Um, and wasn't particularly <laughs> fussed, fussed on it either way. Uh, <laughs> but that's great. I really want to track that down and watch that. I really want to watch that series. I think that'd yeah. be really good. Yeah. I know. Uh, mm, yeah. It's really that, good. That'll be, that, yeah. I got to check that out. Yeah. It is very British in 1970s and very brown because everything in the British in the 1970s was very beige, but it is still really, really good. What is going to be your second trailer for Mission okay. Impossible? So second trailer. Okay. Again, a team coming together. I had to pick, you know, di- different people have different skills that come together. And, you know, I love it when a plan comes together for the A team 2010. Oh, I was totally thinking of this one. <laughs> Where's the plan, boss? You actually sound worried. Those men were your responsibility. Find them. Hell no. I ain't stepping foot in any type of aircraft. Man up! Get in the plane! We gotta finish the escape! Man up and get in there! Putting the team back together. <laughs> How do you plan on stopping them? I'll sweat him. This just got exciting. I'm BA. You're going to be unconscious. Just a heck of a beautiful place. Just a timeshare. I'd love to get in. 
Good morning. He tried to escape by jump-starting an ambulance with a defibrillator. Clear. Surprisingly good movie. Um, I didn't Honest... know who Joe, Go- Joe Carnahan was at the time, but I was actually surprised how good this was. <laughs> I, I honestly, we, I... I was covering at the time, um, I had moved out to LA at this time and I was writing for the web. So I was writing a lot about this, about the A-Team, you know, mm-hmm. just like little pieces and stuff here and there, just like little stuff like, yeah. hey, have you checked out the trailer? Or here's a, this director said this, or this this movie's gonna be about this, or the cast said something about this about their characters. It's all those kinds of news stories. But I was writing about this movie and then it came out and I didn't see it right away. And I think uh, um, Eric and I rented it uh this is still when netflix would send you dvds they might still actually still do that but um but uh i think my parents still get those (laughs) (laughs) um which is fine they're old guys Mm. leave my parents out of this (laughs) Um, so uh so and so i rented it and i was like i had read all the bad stuff Mm. i covered it and i was like it looks pretty good and then i heard oh this movie's terrible a team's the worst and i watched it and i was like this is kind of great what are people talking about? This is a blast. And I, I've rewatched it several times since. And I'm like, we should have had three of these already. Easily. So. And this I think it was it, a blast. Yeah. I think this really kind of gets into um, what people think of movies that are based on TV shows, that they're not always appreciated right. yes. for what they're doing at the yes. time because everyone has that right. context. The only one I can think of that bet this was the 93 Fugitive. Mm, um and i'm not entirely sure why um because i Mm. even remember watching that show as a kid it was just like he'd go help someone he'd find the one unmanned, man and then he'd move on to the next town yeah no when you when you mix up the alchemy a little bit yeah because it's a movie not a series yes you know and they didn't give big roles to the original guys yes and so there was a lot of like ill will there but you have to make it a movie. Yes. And like, that's the thing about it's... it. Mission Impossible also did that too. They did not invite any of the original people back. Oh, no, they did. But then the guy who played Phelps read it and went, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, well, they there's a leak. I, I have this article that from EW from that's like, I think, 94. Yeah. December of 94 that I read, which goes through the original script uh, because the original writers of Mission Impossible mm. were like, uh, because obviously we've had a couple other people end up writing the script, but it's a husband and a wife team, Will- Willard Huck and Gloria Katz, who also did Radioland mm. Murders. They wrote the original script, which um, is what was rewritten by David Kep. Yeah. Eventually uh, was rewritten again. But their basic plot, I guess, is the same thing. So in the article, they talk about Peter Graves and Martin Landau kind of like being upset because already they're saying the original team gets killed in the beginning of the film. And so they all objected to that and were not into that. And I'm so glad I didn't read this article before I watched this movie because it's one of the best parts of this movie is it that they is. kill the old team right away and say this isn't the tv show this is a movie we're and paying our homage but we're moving in a different direction because yes. it's a movie it's a movie and because you get the most movie of movie directors brian de palma that's what he does and i think it was such an yeah. amazing choice i think that's this is why this movie has aged as well as it has um, because I think A Team has aged really well. I think it's so much fun. I think it's just it's a movie, it's an action movie, and everyone's fun in it. Um, and so I think yeah, the and the A Team really captures that energy of 
yeah, we know you remember the A-team because it's the A-team, but right. we're going to show you a new way of doing it well is trying to keep kind. I'd say A-team trying to, it does keep a little bit truer to um, the source material than Mission Impossible does because they don't kill sure. the team. <laughs> For sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Originally, so there was yeah. definitely a bit more of like, uh, there's a bit more of an anachronistic uh, quality oh, to yeah. Mission Impossible than than uh, than A Team, but I still think they both had that kind of. There's a little bit of people going, "Hey, what about the original show? This isn't quite the original show mm -hmm. in both aspects." Obviously, Mission Impossible didn't suffer and had sequels and continued on. Yes. So to your point, I don't think Tom Cruise saw that he was still going to be making Mission Impossible oh, no. into his sixties. I don't think he thought that was going to happen. No, I don't think um, he did. <laughs> and 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 how many franchises uh, honestly kick into another gear at part four? Exactly. I mean, not many. No. Not many. This is maybe, Fast and Furious. Maybe that just was part five. <laughs> yeah, that's a great that's a great call. That's a great yeah. though four has its fun. A four has like its four, moments. But when it's you got get, its moments. But five is when the, the plan really comes together and at, and at five they're just like, look, all bets are off. They're Let's superheroes. Drag this safe through the streets of Rio <laughs> yeah, de Janeiro. Let's just forget it. You know? Yeah, that's when it's just like, hey, forget it. Let's this is this is now these are superheroes in cars. Yeah. Eventually we're gonna take a car and we're gonna make it into a space shuttle. And this is where we're gonna go. This, this is where series. we're gonna go. And then when the car because did go into space everyone went well it's not as cool as i thought it would be yeah <laughs> oh, i thought this would be a bit better but <laughs> be bit i was better. all on board for it yeah and then you totally saw what happened i'm like nah, it's not space car <laughs> space car not as good as i thought it was gonna be <laughs> <laughs> right but you're right that's a really good call but there's mm. not a lot of well hellraiser series maybe part five <laughs> no, i, <laughs> I don't sure. <laughs> yeah they really got it going in inferno that's when yeah. they really figured it all out exactly um yeah um I do like uh, Friday the Thirteenth Five. Of course, that is the sleaziest, uh, oh. a new beginning. That's the sleaziest of them all. But that I is. don't know if that kicked the franchise into another gear. It, it, it just doesn't them... happen a lot. But no, that just made them change direction because everyone just went, "Oh, we made it too sleazy. We have to go back to the innocent fun." <laughs> I, I love Five. I unabashedly love Five. Oh, I love every five. character in that movie is a sleaze bag. It's it unbelievable. Is. It's un just unbelievable. The way I love it. Daddy Steinman will always focus in on the ass is something I love desperately, mm. even though it's not an ass you want to be looking at. I just, yeah, that movie is. He is also glorious. tried to make a five minute love scene in the middle of the movie that he thought would just be that they were like, no, you got to cut this down. He's like, why? <laughs> No, he just is not. Yeah. We enjoy seeing naked kids, but the, we we got to cut this. Thing. We have yeah. the rest of those movie to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah. There's not. There's just not a lot of a uh, uh, movies or a lot of franchises that, uh, that that do what Mission Impossible does. But I do think A Team could have had a could have had a couple sequels. I, I think, think it could have had it. I wish. I think I we could have. Yeah. I, I wish we would have been able to swallow the pill. We do. Obviously, I think Mission Impossible is a. a a better movie, mm. uh, a, a better movie, maybe a, a more well-crafted film, maybe a slightly better cast, but uh, no slouches on the A-Team cast no. either, you know? Absolutely um, Liam not. Liam Neeson and... and uh, Bradley Cooper. Know, and Bradley Cooper and... and um, Hang on, I'm going to pull up the cast. No, it's that that uh, guy who was in um, Plan 9. District 9. District, District 9, 9, sorry, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah I'm forgetting his name, but uh guy from South Africa. Yes, and uh jackson what's uh, the guy who was like the mma fighter yes quinton jackson was quinton jackson yes. yeah 
Hey, Henry um, Cernzy. Yeah, Cerny, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cerny, who's also going to be coming up. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's also an 18. <laughs> Play an another, like, I've mentioned this on our show. I love, like, nameless bureaucrats. There's some of my favorite characters. There's nobody better than, than Henry Cerny. They're playing just, like, just a douchey. And guy in a just, suit. You know, guy in a suit you know part of the system part of the system that just won't he won't let the system work yeah just always just throwing just throwing something to stop the whole momentum of everything you know the it's, guy that's always throwing the book at you you're just like god i hate this guy uh, you know, uh no one plays that better than him he's, no. he's he's i think he's coming back for the new mission impossible movies too Yay! at least one of them so i'm very excited for them to to go back to that uh I love that they they kind of dip back into the early films. Yes. It's pretty great of McQuarrie yeah. to do. That's I'm what I love. I do love. Um, and speaking of later Mission Impossible films, I'm going to go basic. Um, but I, yeah, my second trailer is going to be Fallout, Mission Impossible Fallout. I wanted to show where the series is now, and I purely just yeah, wanted to okay. show a trailer that yeah. has Henry Cavill cocking his friggin' fists. You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. You don't understand what you're involved in. You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. How many times has Hunt's government betrayed him, disavowed him, cast him aside? How long before a man like that has had enough? Yep. <laughs> Talking his biceps. Talking his that... biceps. Like, yep. do, do. When that trailer hit and he did that, people lost their mind for good reason because that is a fantastic fight scene in the bathroom. But to show where... I what, love that scene. It is oh, so freaking good. So good. But to show where Mission Impossible started as this kind of movie that is literally shaking off the series, doing something else, took a few, even though I like two and three, um, I'm a defender of, of Mission Impossible 2, uh, John Woo. The Woo. The Woo. Um, we call him. We call him the Woo. Call, the, call him, call that, him the that, Woo. Yeah. That, that clip. Thank Tom Cruise. I mean, God bless. I don't know if you've seen that clip, but he in the special features. That's what he says in the special feature interview. It's like, <laughs> I mean, we call him the Woo. He's the Woo. It's, it's like just it, an absolute. It's a classic. It's, yeah. It's even in um a uh, massive talent who goes, oh yeah, what's your favorite? Well, it's Face Off, and he goes, Woo, Meister. I'm like, yeah, good boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. I, you know, I love this series unabashedly. Mm. So I'm with you. I don't, I don't think two, I don't think two is as bad as everyone said. No. And I believe me, I watched it and I was initially a little like thrown because I love the first one so much. Yeah. But in the totality, it's not as bad. It's also, it's still not awesome. It's not Woo's perfect. best movie. Yeah. No, but there is some good Woo stuff in it. Yeah, it's but two people some spinning of off like, a motorbike. How woo can you get? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that also then, it's like that motorcycle stuff, though, the way they did it in, um, I think, actually, in Rogue Nation. Mm. Or was it in Fallout? 
I get the those um, two get very blurred in my mind. But they do a very good job with that too. I think it mm. actually it, it might be Fallout. Yeah. But um. But yeah, I I unabashedly love this series, and I will watch any of the Mission Impossible's anytime. So, I'm with you. I'm, mm. Is what I'm trying to say. Yes. I'm, I I love this series. Yes. I mean, yes. This the series really found its kind of footing of what it is now with uh, Ghost Prot Ghost Protocol, but it's such a fascinating series because you can kind of see how it changes with each kind of era of what kind of where Hollywood is with action. And now it's kind of Tom Cruise mm-hmm. just kill, almost killing himself for our entertainment. I, yeah. I d- Good morning, Mr. Phelps. This is your mission. Should you choose to accept it? Should you or any member of your IM force be caught or killed? The secretary will disavow all knowledge of your actions. Ethan Hunt will be your point man as usual. Good luck, Jim. Simple game. Is he serious? Always. It's much worse than you think. We're being ambushed. Abort, that's an order. They knew, they knew we were coming. Do you read me? I don't care how he did it. I want to know why he did it. You're worried about me. Why you survived? I'm not sure we can find something I have that you need. As much as this man had ambition in 96, which, God, he looks like a baby. <laughs> His eyes are wider. I'm sure of oh, it. Oh, I know. Um, he looks like a child. He's What's, what's amazing is he's, he's 60 years old now. He's aging into his middle age yeah, now. Yeah, yes. That's all, that's all it means. Like, hit him hitting 60 is just like, yeah, I'm middle yeah. age now. Yeah, but middle like, age now. In 96, he looks like he's like 21 years old it's, yeah. it, in the, this movie. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's it's. As a man, it's unfair. Yeah, it as a is. man who's had who had gray hair at that age, <laughs> this is un, this is unfair. I can totally see that, but Fallout <laughs> is such a fun movie. Yes, I get it. Very confused with Rogue Nation because those two are very, very always similar in my mind, and they're both Christopher McQuarrie. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it is just where the series has gone now, and how openly embraced we are for this. Considering when Mission Impossible came out, it got criticized i mean this was nominated for golden resi they suck but it was kind of this big Mm. it was winning all the score awards all the action awards because i keep forgetting they actually used an actual helicopter (laughs) for most of it um they but the script apparently got bashed i don't actually think the script's that bad i think the script is pretty good for what for what it's doing um de palma was apparent was got sliced for his direction i'm like have you not seen a brian de palma movie this is just a how Brian De Palma makes makes movies. Yeah, it was criticized yeah, I mean, well, by the that, people who love the, the show. The, the, yeah, the sweat dripping down the eyeglass. Oh. it is one of the like great uh, moments in a tense high scene, but also one of the most De Palma moments yes. of all the De Palma moments. <laughs> it's so like the way he's able to bridge what he does and like making this very big slice of populist entertainment mm. is like, uh, it's unbelievable. It's, yeah. it's, it's like a, it's an unbelievable marriage. It really is. Things. Cause every so often Brian De Palma would come out and make a populist movie because his most Brian De Palma thing didn't work. I know. Cause he made, yep. uh, cause I know he made um, untouchables to show he could make one of those kind of movies. 
and right. he did and he went back and he made mission impossible again to show it's not always straight after a flop but i know like um body double did not do well um and, and so then a few years later he goes and makes untouchables um i think i don't know when vanities of the bonfire was made that was late 80s as well early I, yeah he he makes untouchables and uh then he uh he does casualties of war ah yes and that's a great great movie unbelievable but you know we we were sort of at the i don't know if we were at the end but we were sort of like i think there was a little bit of like weariness with more vietnam movies i think at that point and casualties of war is a heavy it's heavy movie heavy movie it's It's less about the war as it is about american war crimes (laughs) correct correct and so yeah then he uh, follows up but casualties war still like gets you know i don't think it was you know i don't know if it was i just mean to say that i don't know if it was a huge financial success it wasn't but it certainly was well received by at least critically i think critically it was because it is actually touching on something that a lot of people don't talk about when they talk about american wars is that hey you're sending assholes into battle and they're going to be doing some horrific things um sometimes it's war it's what happens so it sort of took the scene from platoon where they go through that village and sort of raise the village and stuff and just sort of said okay but let's like focus in on a little bit of that and let's make a bigger deal of because that moment you kind of it happens and it's certainly not trying to hide away from it but it's like no there's more to that and let's make a movie about that specifically yeah and i'm not saying that he he was trying to exactly cull from from platoon i'm just saying um like you know this is a this was a real thing and he was just trying to put a bigger light on it yeah and uh but after uh after casualties uh, casualties of war that's when he did the bonfire of the vanities which i remember being super excited for and that was a a big stinker yes and then raising Kane was also seen i think even though i think it was a moderate success i think it was still seen by a lot as being like uh it felt like we'd had some like swings and misses from De Palma, even though Raising Cane's got an incredibly performance by John Lithgow. He yeah. is wild in that movie. But yeah, you kind of, you know, it's a wild movie. It's kind of a thriller with a big wild performance. So you kind of have to be in that mood. I can actually, dig on that. Yeah. But I don't I, know how everyone can dig, if everyone can dig that movie. Yes. But then, of course, he does Carlito's Way, which kind of brings him back up a bit because that's yeah. Al Pacino. Like, it's, okay, we're back. We're oh, back. Here's, here's Scarface, the guy from, okay, we're back. We feel more safe yes. with the Poma now. And then he does Mission Impossible. Which he does, which he's kind of in that phase. I'm like, oh, you think you know what a Mission Impossible movie is going to be? No, I'm going to shove a steel pipe right in Emilio Estevez's face. <laughs> it's, I always forget how brutal that shot is. <laughs> I can't tell you. Again, this is another movie I rented, and I, I think I actually got a screener for this. Oh, wow. I got the screener, the VHS screener, and I was so jazzed because it had not officially come out. Yeah. But I had missed this in the theater for reasons I honestly are inexplicable to me. I don't know. I don't know how. Mm. But I watched this, and I was just floored i loved it and that whole killing the initial team i mean again you got to think this is 96 so i and i what and did not read entertainment week that entertainment weekly article which had to have probably been in print yeah because you we really didn't have the internet in the same way that we do oh now. no no so there weren't as many spoilers it was purely spoilers were just like watching trailers 
and maybe obsessively watching some like entertainment news shows, but you're still not going to get things ruined for you. Mm. Uh, I think that article uh, ruined a huge twist. Yes. Which granted happens early in the film, but I'm yeah. so glad I didn't know that that mm. was going to happen because when they kill off the first team, I was completely like, what? I was actually like, Emilio Estevez is on the fucking Mission Impossible team? I can dig this. Yeah. I can get into this. Yeah. Emilio, everybody. Oh, he's dead. Oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah. Okay. What, what just... Oh, shit. No. What happened? Oh. I... And... This was definitely something I watched on TV, and that kind of blew me away. I'm like, wait, what? They're all dying? How? how? What? You don't do... You're not allowed to do this in a movie. Movie, what are you I... doing? <laughs> Kristen Scott Thomas, too. Also, yeah. uh, I love that she's in the initial team because again it's such a surprise her career yeah. was really taking off at this time it really time. was yeah so like having her be on the team felt like oh here's it felt like it's to me it's that uh it's the psycho moment it's the scream moment it's the like here's a bunch of stars starting the movie that you think are gonna stick around yes. and we're gonna kill them off in short order and i love chris and scott thomas because every time i watch this movie i always feel she has a little bit, except when she's on the job, mm. she has a little bit of a moment of like, ah, fuck, these <laughs> guys. You know, like when Emilio Estevez is putting the glasses on her and explaining it, and she's yeah. always like a little, she's always kind of saying everything with a little bit of a fuck you. She's yeah. like, yep, I can hear you loud and clear, asshole. Yeah. We do this all the time. Let's just do the job. Uh, don't care about your toys. Like, you know, like... <laughs> She, even when she's talking to Tom Cruise when we're at the party and they're not allowed to know each other, she's still talking to him like she's a he's a five-year-old. It's like, yeah, come this yeah. way. It's like, yeah. I've, right, right. She's, yeah, she's been in the job for a long time. So she's kind of... Yeah. She's a like little, a little... I'm a little weary. I'm a little world-weary here at this point. I've yeah. been at this for a while. You know, we just had this job. I'm a little... Okay, now we're in Prague. Okay, let's just mm. do this thing, you know? Um, and man, if they if she hadn't have been this, you know big uh moment where we're going to kill the old team she would have been an awesome person to keep around oh she would have been she would have been really great been really cool to keep her around it really would have been yeah but that open is great and it's shot in prague which is one of the first it's one of the first movies to shot to shoot in contemporary prague oh i didn't at that I point was... in time yeah because i was gonna is, uh, say because they right wouldn't... around the dissolution of yeah. uh, czechoslovakia so as a matter of fact in sneakers they talk about czechoslovakia and in this, it is the Czech Republic. So this is just at the dissolution and the separation yes. of the of the two countries. Yeah, because um, I know they did film them, I and I know Amadeus was made in Prague, as as opposed to being what Vienna, like because Prague just looked older than what Vienna was. And poor Milos Forman's like, are they going to let me out? I don't know if they're going to let me out. Um, <laughs> yeah, this may yeah. have been a mistake. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, this yeah that would have been the first thing of the disillusionment. So it's now it's Czech Republic, it's not Czechoslovakia. So yeah, Correct. you're, you're yeah. absolutely right about that. I'm so used to it being Czech Republic because I've just like yeah, Czech Republic, yeah. Prague makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> and it makes beautiful use of it. I mean, mm. uh, Prague. I, 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 Mark and I backpacked through Europe when we were younger, and so we went through uh, Prague, and mm. it is around in, in the mid 90s so sort of around this time oh wow and uh this was it was it's it was such a different and cool time because it was 
really just as they were starting their new democratic government and they're coming out from the, the red curtain and and yeah. yeah and the dollar just was like their their crowns were like nothing to the dollar so it was incredibly cheap to be there in fact there was a good portion of the city was actually american expats because it was so cheap to live there around yeah. that time so um so we went to like american sports bars there was an American cafe. Oh. Uh, I, 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 in fact, American cafe with like a little library attached. So mm. I bought the script for Pulp Fiction <laughs> <laughs> at this little American cafe in Prague, um, which I thought was sort of apt for that film. But I was also so enraptured with Pulp Fiction at that time as so many people were. So it's funny that you mentioned like the post Tarantino world because Sneakers is in that pre-Tarantino yes. world like sort of like he's made Reservoir Dogs but you know he's a he's a burgeoning talent yeah and then this is post Tarantino making Pulp Fiction and now everything's everybody's, everybody's got to have a movie a, a, a film with somebody carrying around a, a, a suitcase with something yes. mysterious in it you know? with a light so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um but yeah one of the first ones in Prague and and, and I mean god I mean Again, Brian De Palma is a great director. I don't know if anybody knew this, but um, he just shoots the living hell out of that city. It, oh my god! The night, the night scenes too. The fog there, is gorgeous. It is it's... yeah, it's picturesque. You want to like take some of the shots, the stills, and just frame them and put them on your wall. They look like no hyperbole, like just perfect. They look amazing. And... It is stunning. Like I know I was going to go to Europe. <laughs> In uh, for I was going to go to Europe in 2021, but then uh, the pandemic happened, so that hasn't happened yet. But Prague mm. was definitely a place I wanted to go to check to check out the Czech Republic. Um, it's just be beautiful. They picked yeah. some of the best spots the the St Charles Bridge, yeah, um, the the town square there where the, that's where the um where the restaurant is where mm. he blows up the fish tank yeah. and runs out into the the city square. So that. I forget the name, what that's called, but there's a big clock tower there. It's beautiful yeah. right there. Um, they don't show that, but he's like running in the middle of it. Um, it's a beautiful city. Um, yeah, just incredible. incredible. And, and De Palma, of course, takes, I think, full advantage of being able to shoot in Europe in this yes. movie. Yeah, he, he fully does. Because it already this, because um, vaguely in the show, they were traveling around to different places, but because it was a show in the 60s and the 80s, they were like, well, we're doing this in LA or wherever they were probably shooting. Yeah. No, um, yeah. But this really sort of starts off the Mission Impossible is the globe trotting movie. And through every other place that they've um, done a movie, it's always been hanging off a building in Abu Dhabi. It is going to some, yeah, it's always been very location heavy yes um yes. so that is something i've always loved about the franchise as a whole and this kind of where it starts it's yeah it's this kind of disconnect of like no one's thinking ah yeah that we want this to be a big hit we want this to be the biggest movie of the year because it's tom cruise and he's like well i'm tom cruise but at the same time i don't think anyone would have thought that everyone is pumped for the new for the seventh is it seventh seventh mission impossible movie <laughs> there's they've shot back to back the seventh and eighth yes yeah. So we have seven and eight coming, and I I'm, could not be more excited for Me seven neither. and eight. But you're, yeah, you're right about that. Brian De Palma shoots not only the hell out of Prague, but the hell out of this movie. This I mean, whole the scene, movie. This whole movie. I mean, yeah, the scene is amazing when they all start dying off. I think it's amazing. I think, um, so I can absolutely understand if you are already a fan of Mission Impossible, you're going to watch the show, and then this happens. 
you're like, hang on a minute. What am I, there's going to be a disconnect of what your expectations are and what this movie is. But now I'm sort of watching it and there is not an angle that De Palma does not shoot from. I mean, there's an amazing nope. scene when he's talking to, when Tom Cruise is in the cafe with Cernzy and he's literally, the camera's literally under Cernzy's Underneath chin. his chin. Yeah, yep. it's under his chin. It's under here, it's under his chin. And it's an amazing shot. And it's like a tight Orson Welles shot where yeah. Orson Welles would like dig out a hole in the ground to put yes. the camera down it's below. It's literally but he, like, that shot. But then like he's shooting with like a lens that he can like focus straight up into your chin, into your yeah. face. And it gets more and Unbelievable. more. Unbelievable. It gets closer and closer to his chin. The more you realize that, uh-oh, Cernzy thinks it's Cruz that's done done this yeah because he goes good the team's dead it's like okay come in come in from the thing we'll take care of you and then they're having the conversation and you can just see tom cruise going uh-oh and then the camera's just getting closer 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 whoop it's way up his chin i'm just like oh my god de palma because before you're getting like weird camera angles staring down at tom cruise like not quite dutch angles but they're very kind of weird disconnected things and that's when he blows up. yeah it is oh it's just i'm like yes De Palma. I, mean, you got I De, love it <laughs> you got De Palma shooting this uh you've got Robert Town uh, basically writing scenes the night before they shoot them yeah because again they had the framework of this movie I think uh Kep comes in David Kep comes in and they, he helps restructure the story but he, Town is the guy who ends up writing most he's on of the, the day scenes. yeah I mean to have and, Kep in Townsend on <laughs> your oh my oh my I mean it's like that, that and De Palma directing that yeah. is crazy um uh unbelievable and uh of course robert town i have to say started out with corman and yeah. what a wild career started out in the same acting class as corman that's oh corman my god medic. you can believe that so yeah. um and, well if there's a know, guy if there's a guy who knows to write things on the fly and make things make sense on a very specific time budget it's, it's sure. robert town it's robert town <laughs> and there's some incredible lines in this and there's a and you know he's working in concert with tom cruise but like they they what's funny is that they still are using that template now because yeah. when Macquarie makes these movies, they only have a they basically have a structure. They have like their set pieces mostly figured out, mm -hmm. but scene by scene, he is coming up with the script bef before they shoot these scenes, which is crazy to me. When I was listening to some of the commentaries for the his his you know Fallout and Rogue Nation, that they make movies this way, I'm like that is crazy that you're like. Oh well, I'm writing to the locations, so I don't yeah. really write the script because I'm waiting until we we pick our places and we know where the the story's going. So once he finds out where he's going to shoot, that's when he's writing the scene. I'm yeah. like that. So no one knows what they're going to say yet. That's crazy. That's wild. That is so wild. I mean, I know they have to like pre-do everything of the action scenes because these are very right. intense action scenes, and Tom Cruise is literally hanging off a helicopter and. The, the halo doing a halo thing we has to do like 20 times i'm like oh my god that poor cameraman who has to like jump before him and then watch him freaking yeah. do it which a, they do like what every morning for like many many days many jump days out of the out of the uh yeah the plane and they couldn't do it they, that's the one time they couldn't do it in the country that we're filming in because Paris, france was like oh no that no. that's no sorry. i think they did it in did they do it in turkey something like that yeah it was a country they had that to said, digitally they have to digitally add in paris because paris yeah. wouldn't let them do it there because yeah. paris yeah because they wanted to do it in paris and paris went oh no absolutely not no, we're no. not going to be the country let, yeah we're not going yeah. we're not going to be the country that's that killed tom cruise absolutely no way <laughs> <laughs> well somebody step up because some country's going to do it eventually because it tom cruise is going to die making a movie and <laughs> yes 
we're all going to be bummed, but we're going to be like, this is how he wanted to go. This Let's is, not... yes. He gave this... himself the Viking death. <laughs> yeah. If you've watched a single Tom Cruise movie in the past 20 years, you know this is what he wanted. He just yeah. wanted to die making a movie. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, it's just like, yeah. Hopefully well, it's towards the end of production. Let's hopefully, just, let's yes. Hope that. Fingers yes. crossed. Oh, but... he just doesn't, they, they not let him die. But it's just, yeah, so you see it, and you're even seeing in this one when, I still don't know how they did the shot with the train. When he's, I mean, it's such an amazing shot when he's, trying to the train's like grappling they're fighting poor what's his name reno's like trying to get away um the fact that everyone's a bad guy in it i love yeah like you cannot trust anyone even, living right even <laughs> even luther but yes. you don't know at first i mean again uh a post pulp fiction yeah. world that's how we get you know ving rames in this movie yes and we and his image from this movie is being you know uh traded on Yes. In this film, because he is coming in as the badass gangster from Pulp Fiction. Yep. But now we're playing against that type by making him like a computer hacker. But but, yeah, I still forget he's built a on that Pulp Fiction. You know, yeah. The casting, at least, is built on that. Yeah. It and is so really you is. don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy because you didn't know if he was a good guy or a bad guy in Pulp Fiction. I mean, no. you knew he's a bad guy, but like, you know, he ends up you know, begrudgingly making friends with Bruce Willis. So you just don't know, like, what kind of guy is he? Mm. Uh, and it's based on that. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. Um, I always forget that Luther is there from the beginning. I always think it's like two or yeah. three where he comes in, but no, it's number one. He's there right from the get-go. Get but you are saying the train, how did they do that? You didn't know where they I did. Still don't know, I still don't know how they did it with, like, I know they must have done, like, some sort of thing when he leaps from the exploding helicopter onto the back of the train. That shot just looks mm. unreal. I don't, yeah, I'm just, I had to rewind it a couple of times going, okay, so where's the green screen? Where's the apparatus? Where's the stunt guy? Was Tom Cruise, I know Tom Cruise was always famous for wanting to do his stunts, but I knew 90s, they were still being a bit cagey about it. So I was just like, I kind of, and the way they that- camera's angled that he kind of leaped into the camera a little bit it's just it's such a yeah that they shot a lot of that the train in a couple different ways they use miniatures they shot it in the train in scotland yeah because they actually were able to use the channel trains they mm. weren't initially but i think tom cruise like had a dinner with the right person and they were able to get the train but uh then they shot some of it i think in england in mm. the studio but they used like high powered fans to blow like 200 miles per hour. So when, when Cruz is hanging onto the train, the train isn't moving, but the fans are blowing like oh, a train he, would be he, in motion. He did a busted heating with the fans. <laughs> Correct. So, and then they're sort of blue screening. Cause I think it's still blue screening at that time, not yeah. green, but they're sort of adding in those. So it's a combination of, getting the real shots of them in a studio, getting a real wide shot of the train literally going, maybe yeah. using some models and miniatures. How exactly they get the shot of him jumping onto the back, I'm not sure, but it's probably a mix of composites. And this is all I think IL yeah. this is ILM. So oh, as well, yeah. doing, doing this, putting all this together. Mm. Which I have to say, I mean, I thought, as I sort of alluded to earlier, even at the time, I was like, this sequence is a little like the the train being con or the the helicopter being connected to the mm. train having to fly into the tunnel 
it looks a little bit shaky here and there, but I think ultimately really works. And what is even more great about the sequence is the fact that I think it's because of that train sequence that Tom was like, that train sequence was good, but what do we do next? Because we yeah. got to keep raising that bar. So for Mission Impossible 2, he is like, you know, hanging off a cliff. From the get-go. <laughs> you know, from the beginning. He's yeah, like, that okay, was we've... big deal. I remember yeah. that was part of the thing. It's like, did you hang? Oh, no, I was hanging off that cliff. And it's like, what yep. were you doing that for? <laughs> yeah. So he had to continue to raise that bar till he's like holding on the side of an airplane to open a movie. So he's, you know, it's like he's got to keep figuring out new and better things to push himself to do mm. so that, you know, uh, and I think that that's what that train sequence is. So what I love about it is that yeah. it really, because that movie I still think is, is the template that they return to. It is, yes. With with two, it becomes a John Woo, a little bit more of a John Woo fest, which is fine, but it isn't quite in concert with the tone of a Mission Impossible or the mm. Mission Impossible movie we just saw, yeah. at the very least. The third one is okay. J.J. Um, Abrams is always a good guy to turn to if you're like, we don't want to ruin this, but could you make a movie that's fine? Yeah. That people will accept, but maybe isn't going to be the best, but it will... It won't ruin anything. <laughs> <laughs> they give them the team back. They give them a team back in um, yeah. Mission Impossible and MI three. Like they give them the team back. Right, they got a really right. good bad guy who like the movie's good really and good the movie's doing thing. And then you get Hoffman, and I'm like, I'm actually terrified of this guy. There's something <laughs> not and and one of the like silliest B movie deaths though of a villain in that it one is. where he yes. just literally lifts him up, gets the car, bangs into the car. I kind of love it though because yeah. I'm a fan of B movies, but but four when four four and it certainly Macquarie's uh, movies, they go back to this one. Yeah, it because is. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was looking at the uh, at this and looking at the opening sequence, which I love the opening sequences where they show future bits of the movie, just yep. like they did in the TV show. Yeah, they're just flashing. It's like a little mini preview. I had that in my notes of the yeah. film. Yeah. Love that. Love that so much. And two and three go away from it. It's all about, you know, they're lighting the fuse. So you're yes. following a fuse, but the fuse is just names. Yeah. And so two and three kind of avoid it, but then they go back to it at four and continue on to this, to, to the yeah. most recent iteration. <clears throat> and I, and I was wondering, I don't know what you think or how familiar you are with mm. these, but is the is my question was to myself is the first one the best one the best opening sequence in terms the of the best opening title the title sequence I yes think? in terms of that yes i do like ghost protocol a lot because you have brad bird yes brad bird um doing his brad bird thing which he is an amazing yes. animating animation animating director i don't know what the exact title of that is yeah um that's doing his first live action movie with exactly protocol and there is a lot of animated touches throughout that movie when mm -hmm. um they're doing certain and, doing certain mm -hmm. things and all that kind of thing but i think the first one in terms of opening a movie is actually yeah i think it's the best i i thought i i looked at them all I watched them all today. Just mm. went back and forth. I I could give Fallout an edge. It's really good because part of it's always burning. So it's constantly uh, trying yeah. to avoid the mm. flames too. So the way that they intercepted that. And I do love Ghost Protocol. I actually think it may be the best. Maybe 
outside of the first one, maybe the best sequel. Mm. But that I, that animation of it is a little too animated for me. But but like the first one, it may be the best. It may be the top. The way it keeps almost it looks like it. They're cutting frames to like get into each character. Yeah, it's really cool. It it it's just an awesome looking. I think it's. It's the dog that the rest of the pack is chasing, I think is what I'm trying to get at. I think it's, it is as well, because I was sort of watching it and going, oh my God, this is so good because it is lulling people into this very Hitchcockian sense of security. Oh, it's the show. This is what the show did. Right, right, um, right. And now we've got the team set up. We've got John Voight talking to everyone and, um, you know, they're all around the table. Oh no, you actually open up with... I still love the fact that Tom Cruise's um, position in the first team was that he was the master of disguise. I'm just like, yeah, you're Tom yeah. Cruise. <laughs> you're the most recognized. Yeah, but that's your thing. <laughs> yeah. you, you're the guy th- who wears I, the masks. <laughs> I thought he was like a mix. When I first saw the movie, I thought, oh, he's a mix of Peter Lupus, who was yeah. sort of the, the the brawn and the younger guy and yeah. sort of the transportation guy. He was always like driving, flying. A mix of him and Martin Landau, who's mm. always the guys putting on a fake mustache or a you know, a full disguise yeah. to portray somebody else and doing an accent. So I was like, oh, he's kind of a mix of those guys. Cause he's, he's still one of the younger dudes. Like him and Emilio are like palsy yes. in on this team. <laughs> a couple of the two young cutups, yeah. you know? So, you know, I, that's what I was kind of thinking, but yeah, I, I also love that Tom Cruise as a, as a benefactor of the fact that he's, he's, he's the master of disguise. He plays three characters within like the first 10 minutes. He does. Uh, one of which is Ethan Hunt and the other two are two different people. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is, it had to have been for him, like uh, just a hoot and, yeah. and a, an, even another great reason to make these movies is like that he gets to play these other characters much like in Ghost Protocol when he plays like the Russian general and yeah. he gets to sort of like, you know, but yeah, three characters in 10 minutes. Yeah. He's already playing. We have the first mission we have the title sequence. We have the next mission, which is all going to go wrong. It's like, it's so perfect. It's so terrific. It's yeah. so riveting. It so brings you into it. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like the show. I mean, yes, each episode was the go on a mission. So you're kind of seeing that. And then all of a sudden when things start going wrong and poor Emilio Estevez gets a thing shoved in his face, um, that's when you're like, oh, wait something's different and it's like this a really is, sharp. This is different. Yeah. This is different. And it's really sharp and really quick. Then Christian Stark Thomas gets stabbed. Then someone else is blowing up. Then you see John Voight, what you think is shot. And the fact that Brian De Palma is already using the glasses as the POV. I'm just like, yeah, of course, this is how Brian De Palma is going to shoot it. And then because it's De Palma, it becomes a plot point as well. It's not just yep. a fancy way of yep. using the tech. It's an actual way that um phelps is actually becomes part of the plot and i love that and so it it becomes a big payoff too at the end it really does it's perfectly used at the end as like a big key moment yeah of of tom cruise's comeuppance it doesn't matter Uh, if you kill me you're screwed that's is what i yeah someone's already seen you they know you're alive there's no the only one i'm not the only one that knows you're alive yeah it's so well done it's like town writing great lines De Palma being able to use his flourishes so expertly I mean I still marvel that he's able De Palma's able to do what he does in a Mission Impossible movie like he's he's not looking at this like 
eh, let me calm down some of my tendencies. He's like, nope. no, 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 I'm going to crank up my tendencies as a matter of fact. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to shoot from, if there's going to be no, nothing uninteresting about this movie. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let it, not like sneakers where I'm just going to let it cruise um, and just let things kind of happen as they happen. I am literally going to be shooting where I'm going to shoot up, down, wait there, through the glasses. It's going to become a plot point. The more this movie goes through, the more artificial it starts to look, um, especially once you realize, oh, wait, Phelps's wife, I can't remember the actor's name. I have that, do have that in my notes. Um, oh, no, I don't. And, and uh, Anyway, that lady, um, she's not dead. Wait. Phelps isn't dead. Oh. Yeah, yeah, Man Emmanuel Biert or Biert, yeah, Emmanuel Biert. Yeah. She's wait, she's not dead. Wait, Phelps is not dead. Wait, who is the bad guy and who isn't the bad guy? Everything becomes even said Asenzi, um, who you kind of realize he's still an asshole. I mean, he just goes and arrests <laughs> Ethan Hunt's parents for no good reason as drug yeah. dealers. Um, <laughs> Just to just to find something that he loves yeah. and squeeze. Yes. Right? That's what he's trying to do. Exactly. Like, to point, they can come to us. Yeah. They set up that team much like they would do the beginning of each TV series. Yeah. Where they would literally open up the dossier and pick out a character. Yeah. And they go through, here's your team. And then, and then immediately once the job goes bad, Tom Cruise is running for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Often quite literally. Literally, yeah, because he has to run every single movie. You have, I mean, you have, every time we watch a, a Mission Impossible movie, Erica goes, Tom Cruise running. Because, yeah, like, I mean, you got to have Tom Cruise running in, in the movie. It's He's he's a great runner. He is a very good runner. Um, he makes it look good. <laughs> he's great at running. Um, I think even Christopher McQuarrie said so. He's like, I love watching Tom Cruise run. I mean, he's great at running. Yeah. And so, yeah, you start, he's starting to pick up on these things as you go. So, the whole facade that we walked into this movie with, mm. the whole history is blown up and we are thrown into a Brian De Palma movie. Yes, which is what I love. And I can understand people in 96, unless you were already a huge Brian De Palma fan walking in thinking, okay, it's going to be a Mission Impossible movie and then going, oh my God, I'm in a Brian De Palma movie. This is amazing. I can imagine how this would go. I don't know what this is. Um with the untouchables it's much more classically made even though it's got all these de palma flourishes all the way through it's much more classical this is just no nah, i'm not pulling back we are going to be going all brian de palma in this and you just need to keep up uh, and, and my yeah. feeling at the time when i watched this i will just say from my own experience i i think it i felt almost a little like like is it okay if i say this because he had had a couple like I don't want to say the bloom was completely off the rose, but like he he had had such a great 80s, but was ending it not so great and had had a few in a row. Oh, yeah. It just felt like, I don't know, that I almost felt sheepish about being like, I kind of feel like he nailed it. Is it okay to say Brian De Palma like killed it? Because it was like, oh, I don't know about Brian De Palma anymore. No, that know? was very much it because I think Carlito's way was kind of like the bright spot in kind of these movies that weren't capturing right. people. Right. Because One Casualties of War is just, is not a movie you can just turn on and enjoy saying like Body Double yeah. or Just to yeah. Kill or even Mission Impossible. Or um, I think, yeah, uh, Raising Kane is just a very stand is a really great department thriller, but would just would have been put in as a ah, oh, it's a thriller with a insane Lithgow performance. 
Yeah. And then this one, people were going, I don't know what this is. And it's like, oh no, Brian De Palma is, is and he killed it. He acts absolutely made this amazing movie that did really well at the box office. It won a whole host of MTV. I mean, it was everywhere. I mean, MTV was loving it. Saturn Awards were loving it. People were loving it. It was actually kind of capturing this imagination of this action movie and spy movie and then goes on to make sequels and then we're all looking forward to Mission Impossible 7 going, yeah, Tom Cruise, throw yourself off a cliff right now. <laughs> Please. I mean, and it and it has like a couple of the scenes. And again, I, I, yeah. I you know, I'm I'm talking a little bit about the uh, effects and whatnot of the train sequence, but that mm. train sequence is iconic. Yes. It is iconic. And the break-in to Langley is one of, I think, the most perfect heist scenes in any heist movie. The, you know, and again, the, a formula for how we do it. Here's the thing we're going to do. It's absolutely impossible. Yeah. As the show, you know, not not to use too fine a point there, but, and we're going to do it. Yes. And so, and then you kick in the music and we're like, hell yeah, figure out how to do this, even though there's no way you could, but we don't care because nope. you'll figure out some way. And it's all about how you pull off that moment. Yes, it is. There's insane amount of tech around this weird white room where they have this great supercomputer and he has to steal the knock list. But it's one of the most perfectly filmed from, I mean, obviously Tom Cruise on a wire, not quite hitting the floor is a huge moment, but John Renault up there in the- Holding him. (laughs) Holding him, the rat coming by. He's, he's got a, he's got a, he's, his nose is bothering him. He's, he's like losing his grip on the rope. Like, and Jean Renault is not a great guy. We no. don't know what to think about him either. Um, the guy coming in and out, going to the bathroom, like he, the way it's cut together, the way De Palma uh, shot that scene, it is, it is a symphony. It's so perfect. And it is why that, I mean, that, everyone knows that moment that it's, I, it's, you know, everyone knows the, it's, it's an icon. That's the whole scene. No, there's everyone a reason. Everyone knows it. Yeah. There's a reason why that scene of Tom Cruise hovering above the floor was parodied and used so goddamn much. If you were around in 96 right. after that came out, every sketch show, every kind of spoof had someone hanging. <laughs> Absolutely. From, Absolutely. From the ceiling in a white room. It's no, that, 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 that was, high it was scene like, is amazing. Mm. Yeah. It was like eventually uh King of the world. It was like, it's a moment that like, that is a moment that stuck with us that like almost hitting the floor, but not yeah. quite the sweat falling off and cra- capturing it with his glove. The tension of that scene is, is like, you know, um, Andy Garcia at the bottom of the steps and the, and the, you know, the baby carriage coming yeah. down. I mean, yeah. It, it it is it is a it's the tension that like De Palma is just an absolute master at doing. Mm. He and does it why... over and over again. I mean, in Dress to Kill, when um you figure out who um oh was it Bobby um who Michael Caine is the mm-hmm. second personality um actually is, and you kind of realize when that all kind of ramps up. He he continually does it again and again. I mean, the scene in Blowout when um. John Travolta realizes he's been robbed and he's going through every single one of his, the camera's just spinning around. He's just going through every single yeah. one of his rolls of film mm-hmm. is incredible. Mm-hmm. That's what De Palma does best. He knows how to ramp up tension. He knows how to do it quickly and effectively. And he knows how to show all the, how the pieces fit next to each other. I mean, I don't think this has split screen in it. 
say something like Carrie when she's really getting off on the, the prom and the blood's all over her and she right, just starts right, letting right. go and it's showing her and then people on fire and not being able to get out of the, the gymnasium. But that's kind of what he does. It's just, yeah, I know how to make you feel tense about a situation because like Hitchcock says, it's more tense to show the bomb underneath the table, but not have your characters know. Um, yeah, you know right. it's there. And that right. is kind of his ethos of um, yeah. of how he makes movies. He shows you all the play, everything on the board, and then he goes, okay, let's go. And you're like, oh, my God, I know the people going, the guy going to the bathroom. Reno is holding the friggin' uh, rope and he can't sort of hold it. There's You've been told there's no way that Cruz can hit that floor. If he does, it's over. Um, and I love the knife. A kid going, why is he focusing on that knife so much? Oh, yeah, now I remember. It's because that's how Reno killed Christian Scott Thomas. Um, and the way the knife just falls on yeah, the desk, it's just right. perfect. And spoils it. And then they yeah. have to get out because then the alarm gets set. Yeah. It reminded me, too, rewatching it because there's a scene in Sneakers where Redford, they have to go in into that, uh, into into the building's power. Yeah. Yeah. Raise the temperature of that room yes. so that it's at, 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 at human temperature because it's normally colder. Yeah. And he has to barely walk over that room. And that's all before that movie comes out. Yes. This is it before really is. Mission Impossible. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they saw that and used any of it, but it has that same kind of tension where he's barely walking. And then they're like, then they're they're kind of figuring it out, and they're like, "You better hurry!" They get mm. them and they tell Redford, "You got to hurry." He's like, "That's the one thing I'm not supposed to do is yeah. hurry. Yeah. I have yeah. to just barely walk over." So, yeah. it, it, two great scenes where they have that tension. But but the one in Langley, there's just so many elements happening. Of course, you would be sweating during all of this. That's why I love that moment that there's sweat going down his you know his glasses. Yeah, I mean, I would be profusely sweating if i was like hanging from there not knowing does this guy even come back in it's just like it, it it he uses so much he he knows when um not only do we have the tension of hitting the floor but also you can't help but be human you know that you're going to have a human reaction to mm -hmm. that and building that human reaction into it that also could screw up the whole mission is is it's just perfect it's it's such a uh a, it's an amazing scene and i never tire of watching it no that's what i love about ethan hunt is that he's very human i mean there's a moment i think in yeah i think it's ghost protocol because he starts off in the prison they all run together for me Correct. um yeah. and he's actually and he's sliding hitting the throwing the rock around the prison yeah and then, yeah and there's this uh, one scene where he slides down Dean from Martin song yes there's a scene he slides down from the prison he kind of falls over, he's on the ground, and he just has this look of, oh, shit, I survived oh. that. Yeah, that's after the, that's when he gets out of the hospital. Oh, he gets the out of the hospital, yes. Yeah, and the, the cop is after him. Yeah. And he somehow manages to, he grabs his belt and slides down that wire. Yeah. And hits the street. Yeah. Yeah, and you have those great Tom Cruise expressions. Of... Of just kind of look making uh, an odd, you know, which yeah. he doesn't quite do in the early films. That's no. something he's really become he's learned to, to later do. in the series um but yeah in the first one you do get the sense that ethan hunt doesn't quite know what he's doing because he doesn't have that team structure behind him because everyone right. had their place of what skill they had and what they were doing now he's on his own and having to do everything and he doesn't quite know what he's doing and two he's a bit of a superhero because i think that's just how Wu and him decided to work out the character three right. it's a little bit back but in four five and six there are moments when it's not that he's doing a thing well. It's just that he's getting to the 
place he needs to get to, but everything goes wrong. It's like him hanging off the building in, in um, Dubai. It's like, oh crap, the, glo- the glove is not working. And you're like, oh, oh my God. Like he's like very high up at this point. Or a gross person who's in the car and he's just falling down the thing. Um, it's all, yeah. you, there's a little bit of the sense, as you keep saying, the first Mission Impossible is the one they keep going back to. I think that's an element they're built on is Ethan Hunt is actually only human. He's doing superhuman things constantly, but at the end of the day, he's just surprised as we are that he's not dead. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think you're right. And I think you're right about being him being superhuman in the second. And I think the first one is there because of John Voight's character being the, you know, the character of Jim Phelps from the mm. original TV series, but also sort of being much more of a mentor kind of guy for him. Yeah. Even though he clearly has the hots for his wife, but which again is another amazingly well done moment um from De Palma when he wakes her up with that uh syringe yeah and and original mission and she kind of like he's holding her head and she kind of like rouses and sort of like rubs her face into his Mm. hand and then she realizes it's him and kind of stop they stop for a second I'm like that they had a whole scene where there was supposed to be like that they insinuated the love triangle and I'm like you killed it with that moment it says everything you need to say it's right there we know right away there's something up with these guys. Um, but in that first movie, he's much more of a mentor who then loses his mentor and he has thrust out into his own. Yeah. It makes sense that by part two, that he's his own man. Yeah. He's so beyond his own man. He's a Superman. Yes. That it, that's, I think, where I think maybe you lose people just a touch on that mm. one. Um, because it's just like, whoa, he's really, I guess, come into his own. And it feels a little bit... so. Having him then get married, Ming's in the third one, kind of brings him back down. Like, I'm settling. It's cool. You know. I'm still my own man, but then it's kind of thing. But but, yeah. Yeah, I do like that. They never really have a plan. They're always got by the seat of their pants. There's no kind of, because the plan was so worked out when you originally watched the first team together, is that, okay, um, Estevez does the tech stuff. Kristen Thomas is already in the thing where she's going to be showing people around so she can get you in there. It's already meticulously worked out. Doesn't work. So everything else after that doesn't work. It's everything's going to fail at some point and it's more of them going, oh shit, the tech isn't working. Oh no, why? I'm hanging out inside of a plane trying to get in so I can do something. It's all about Ethan Hunt having to figure out something in the moment that is incredibly dangerous of how do I not only get the job done, but how do I not die in the process? Um, nothing goes right. And I think that sort of start again, goes back to the first one where, yeah, nothing quite goes right for Ethan Hunt until right at the end. And it's only because he's smart enough to know, okay, if I use the glasses, I can film Phelps. And so I can say the line. Yeah. I'm I'm not the the only one who knows you did. Yeah. I think the end, he gets ahead of it, but he also gets ahead of it once he has figured out that it's Jim. That's right. You're you're right there. When he sees the the Bible. Yeah. And they have that great scene, like (sighs) in the, uh, the, the train station and they sort of talking and he's trying to pretend that he believes Jim's story. Yeah. But he knows that it's Jim now. Yes. I love that scene so much. (laughs) Yeah. It's great. It's really good. And I think that was one that really Tom worked a lot with Robert town on and they Mm. really like crank that out. It's a, it's really a beautiful scene and really well played um, to, you know, by Tom to, uh, to kind of like play like that. He's trying to play along, but he's like, I know it's you, but that's, 
you're right. He's kind of racing. A, a lot of the fun of the Mission Impossible movies is that he's just trying to like figure it out as he goes. Yeah. He has moments where he comes up with a plan like Langley, but it's like they're constantly going, well, we have to do this now. So mm. now we got to figure out how we do this. And then something else happens. Well, shit. Okay. Now we got to do this. We got to figure out how we do this. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it ends so well by the end that he's like, okay, yeah, I figured you out. I knew it was you. And I knew how to implicate you and get get it so that you will be in trouble and everybody, everything will work out. So, but it doesn't, it's not until that end yeah. that we realize he's figured it all out. Yeah. Because that We're moment- going to get Max. Yeah. We're going to get you. I'm going to be okay. This is true. It's kind of doing that pride. It's kind of hiding behind the fact that he already knows what he's doing. It's just no one else does. With his, the rest of the movies, mm-hmm. he's like, going, you can see him constantly thinking of like, how am I going to get out of this one? Um, but no, I love that scene when he's talking to Phelps and Phelps is spinning the story about how it's Cindy and which is believable because he's such an arsehole that you go, yeah, of course he's sure. sure. But mm-hmm. then you see him, how he's, she shoots on the ground so you get the gunshots he's rubbing blood on his hands and then he looks down to sort of go oh my god i've been shot and then yeah. pulls off. and the behind looks like a blue screen it looks so artificial i was like wait is that an actual did they shot this in a studio no he's just making it look like it's shot in a studio because this is an artificial process i mean jim phelps right, did not right. die he faked his own death and then you get this in, you find out how everyone else died. The fact that Reno is the one who kills Kristen, Kristen um, Scott Thomas, I think that's the name. Um, not Kristen Stewart. No, no Kristen Stewart. Been interesting oh my been God, that would have been just made the she movie better. Been, she might have been, been four, but she, yeah. she might have been four years old, but a great agent. Um, a young but mighty part of the team. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how you see um, Emmanuel is the one who blew up the car because he's like, okay, it couldn't have just been you. You had right. to have had help. You couldn't have killed everyone at the same time. Okay, so how did this actually all go down? And it's... That's another great moment, too, where yeah. he's trying to convince himself it's not her that did it, that he could. it could have still been Void because at, at that point, you know that Tom knows. Yes. So you're like, okay, he knows, but he's still trying to go, but I don't know, maybe it wasn't her. Like, he's yeah. still trying to convince himself that it wasn't her. He has to like put himself into his Jim Phelps mask in order to figure that out, which is it's a it's a lovely little moment. There's lots of lovely little moments in this uh, that pay off. Every moment pays off. It really does. Everything pays off. Everything that's set up at the beginning will play off at the end. And I that same thing happens with sneakers. Everything that's set up at the beginning has a payoff. And I love movies like that. It's it's just so well done. And yeah, I love the fact that he's not entirely sure, but when he, he comes back into the thing after seeing Phelps, she's there lying in the corner and just come over here. I just And he's like, this could be a bad idea. I don't know if I can trust you now. I've been trusting you since the beginning because I like you, but this is very... And then, of course, Phelps states, oh, well, you don't covet my wife because I know, I know you have a thing for her. I know she has a thing for you, but I managed to convince her to do this thing with me for the money. So it's all, and I think right, there's, yeah, right. that moment he says, oh, why, why would he do this? It's like, ah, it's because he's, it's essentially the money. He's just realized he's not earned enough. He's not achieved enough in his life that he wanted to. And so now well, he can just sell the knock list and it, it'll all be okay. When, when he is talking to him in that scene, he mentioned something about, you know, I saw her, you know, so alive with her whole life in front of her. I mean, there is an element of their age difference. Mm. 
And I feel like there's a moment of real honesty from from Jim Phelps in that moment. Yeah. He's like, I'm telling you a big line, but it does kill me to see her and think that I'm dead. And we do have this difference of age. Yeah. You know? And uh, I know you, you kind of like her and she might kind of like you and I'm kind of, you know, an older dude, you know? Uh, I think there might be a real something there, there, you know? Mm. I, I was going to say, though, I in that 94 article as they were talking about this project being coming into fruition mm. the emmanuel um i can't say her last name right but mm. she the woman they were talking about uh, potentially casting in that role was juliette binoche oh i love her anyway so put her in anything and i'm gonna be happy so i mean I'm, yeah me too but i'm also like 90 1995 juliette binoche in that role like Oof, that would have been really, you know, I think, you know, you know, like a year before 96, basically. Yeah. That would have been pretty great. That would yeah. have been pretty great. Because she doesn't She's... do, oh, shoot, the movie that Kristen Scott Thomas was also in, um, that won all the Academy the English, the English Patient? Yeah, they hadn't done that yet, had they? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think that was, no. Uh, that not that 97? Seven or eight, yeah, something like that. It's um, yeah. No, it's, it's the same time. It's nineteen ninety six. Oh wow! So it's around that same time. Yeah. It's November, so it's at the end of the year because, of course, Oscar bait. Yes. Um, but yeah, shot around that same time. So we oh, could have wow. had both yeah. two two of the women there from from uh, English Patient in Mission Impossible. In Mission Impossible, kind of a trip. Yeah, it would have been because I love, yeah, Julia Binoche. I mean, nothing against Emmanuel because I think she is actually really good and she has this very ethereal, ethereal quality to her. Yes. Um, yes. And very mysterious. Very quality. mysterious. You don't really, you don't know what's kind of happening. Yeah. You know? And I think it works for that role, um, especially think, when you yeah. realize right. that she's agreed with to follow her husband and, and to do this thing. Um, and she, so she's kind of playing along with it and then of course it'll end and then she gets shot anyway just yeah like she knows it's coming but, as soon as it turns she's like oh no <laughs> he's gonna kill me <laughs> but she has that sort of like dewy-eyed innocence that just by looking at her that you're like i don't know maybe she doesn't know maybe yeah. she just doesn't she's being manipulated and then when she you know says yeah she's in on it then yeah. she's in on it but yeah she does have that quality that i think would work it, I, julia binoche though would have given that a real different kind of feel to it i feel like that you, yeah feel like she would have played she both sides a little more like one minute oh i can trust yeah. you next minute mm, i don't think i can yeah she, she would have given it obviously a different she would have given that a, a real depth and a, a, yeah. a, a little bit of a different flavor but there is something just looking at uh emmanuel that is like yeah yeah i mean you can see like why ethan hunt would be into her yes. and why he might want to believe her and you don't quite know what's going on and you know i haven't seen her in a whole lot of other things have you no seen me neither else? yeah i know she's still acting and doing yeah. other stuff I, but i i haven't really i never she didn't really start normally i think like if this movie was made now you would see her and like rebecca ferguson shows up in you know um was it rogue nation the rogue nation yeah. yes uh all of a sudden she's you know and everything and she's terrific i'm glad she's in everything oh yeah me too uh, she's great so i'm amazing in dr sleep and and so i'd love seeing her and in, in, in anything but like i felt like she 
you make this movie now, I think Emmanuel Baird would be in a lot more stuff. True. Though they do give Rebecca, Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Ferguson much more of a physicality to her character than Emmanuel. Like Emmanuel is much more, yeah, agency. Yeah, agency and, <laughs> and kicking ass potential than. For sure. For than, sure. unfortunately, because it's 96 and women just did not do that. They did not wear pretty. Now I love the fact that there's a whole trope of women in gorgeous gowns with large slits at them so they can kick, so they can kick people. Um, <laughs> I am all for that. Like, in James Bond, in Rogue Nation, in all that kind of thing. I am yeah, I am here for it. Um, <laughs> give me more of that. But yeah, 96 was not a time when you had that. I mean, there was a little bit of in James Bond, but that was because it's Michelle Yeoh. So they were trying to get that Hong Kong mm-hmm. kind of thing and Michelle Yeoh is the greatest. Um, but yeah, if... if They're trying to steal from... They're trying to get that super cop vibe is what they were trying to do. They were trying one. to do, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. then she still couldn't be as strong as James Bond. I'm like, she could kick James Bond's ass from here to friggin' whatever. Uh, um, I I was uh, the the Brosnan ones drive me up a wall. I, I'm not gonna lie. They, I am developing. I know there are a lot. Of, there are a lot of there are a lot of people's favorites. Yeah, because that's where they grew up that, with them. Yeah, that that was their first. Yeah, and I get I get it. Um, I had it differently because some of the very first VHSs that my parents would ever get were like the early Sean Connery bonds. Yeah. And oh yes. Yeah. Because that, that was my dad. And then, so I was really kind of grew up more with Roger Moore, but it didn't matter because Sean Connery was King in our house. So mm. it's always sort of been Connery. Yeah. Uh, but also just in general, I, you know, being such a big fan of the bond films, Timothy Dalton came in and, he had much more of a rugged kind of regular guy quality and they just didn't know how to didn't know how to deal with that yet no they, they didn't they didn't till craig that's when i and oh, even craig. though even yeah. though i don't think craig is completely as as regular manny man or ruggedness than dalton kind of had but i think he had no, his own no. kind of thing but that's where yeah. they kind of figured out okay they, it, they picked just... up that energy. Yeah. Um, it seemed from that era, they they, they knew how to... It's th- Those two eras, to me, are more aligned. But the Brosnan era is, to me, aligned with Moore's. Oh, absolutely. They got and... scared and we were like, we'll do more, more. But we'll yeah. just put a guy who can throw a punch in it, which Pierce can actually do. I mean, I do, I do have some of affection for those Pierce movies purely because I know that they're telling Roger Moore. Well, it's it's a weird place for me to be because I remember Remington Steele yeah. and how good he was in that show and how that kept him from mm. being James Bond when they hired Timothy Dalton. Then he gets the job and I was really excited because mm. I do think as Bond, he's very good. He's a great actor, Pierce Brosnan. Mm. I think he's awesome. Um, he, does a, he did a movie with Jackie Chan called The Foreigner. He's terrific. It's really good. Yeah. Really, really solid. Same director as Goldeneye. Yes, Martin and, Campbell. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really... Goldeneye is definitely the high watermark of that era. I don't think there's a better Brosnan one because I think they all fall apart after that. But I... the Michelle Yeoh one has the most stuff in it that is worth watching because the Michelle Yeoh stuff is worth watching. I like the Michelle Yeoh, Yeoh, Yeoh movie um, purely because I think it's deranged in just the right way. I mean, Jonathan Price as Carver... Um, as this maniac uh, Murdoch on a boat um, creating wars, like he's um, uh, Rudolph, what's his name, who uh, Foster Kane was based on, um, is yeah. 
I have a lot of fun with. And I think that one has a bit of weirdness to it. I'm like going, really? Okay. Um, but in it's, terms of, yeah, it's can be a bit two. slow. It can be a bit slow here and there. And the other two are just like, okay, so we're doing North Korean guy now is Toby Stevens with diamonds in his face. What? <laughs> it gets very. That, um, the fourth one though, yeah. I will say, is hilarious. Oh, it's hilarious. It yeah, is, it is a like, it is a full moon movie on like a massive Hollywood budget scale. You know, it is just totally ridiculous and and out there. Yeah. And yet they're still trying to pull it, but they have all the money to pull any of it off. Yes. But it's like the ideas of it are ludicrous. But they and... always do this in the Bond movies. There's always gets to a stage where they go too far and the next one they have to pull it way, way back. They they do their best to keep themselves restrained in the Craig era, and I think that's why Craig the Craig era is so revered. Yeah, because like the Roger Moore era, just they just kept rewatching Goldfinger. It's like, how do we keep replicating this? You gotta <laughs> just do this uh, at a huge scale. That's all they were like continuing to do. And then the Brosnan oh, ones like, were like, "Quick, Star Wars is a thing. Put him in space." <laughs> oh yeah, I mean. Yeah, feel bad for Roger Moore because he had to deal with like the the kung fu craze that yes. was like taking over. So now we got to do that. We got exploitation. Oh, we got to go to space. Yeah, we got yeah. black exploitation. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, the '80s, uh, the AIDS crisis. Uh, should he be so promiscuous? Like he had so many things that he had to deal with that would like All that would fact. would sort of. It, it just didn't go with James Bond. Or they it, didn't it just only once did they raise the age of a Bond girl or a couple of times because uh, Maud Adams yeah. isn't too actually. But yeah, it's just yeah. like he is getting really old and they are putting like really young girls next to him and it's starting to yeah. get uncomfortable. It's really starting. It's like okay, I this this doesn't feel right. You and stop. I and I feel like that was noticed because both yeah. Because both Craig and uh, Brosnan step away when it's like, okay, I, I'm getting a little old. A yeah. little long in the tooth here to keep doing this. Yeah. Let's let's step let's step away and do other stuff. Yes. I still always think as much as I love the last one, it's like him and Leah Sado just do not make sense. I'm like, could it just end up with Monica Bellucci? Because that is much more even feels yeah. like much more his Bond's type, because I think that is much more um, Craig's type. But I'm just like She's a little. She seems a little too young for him. She's you know? a little too young for him. She he would have totally been with Monica Bellucci quite happily. Um, and yeah, because of Bond one, has um, to be Sadu. Which, by the way, I love Sarah Sadu. She's amazing. <laughs> she's great in uh, Ghost Protocol. She is amazing in Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> in a great, in an amazing death. Yeah. Uh, pa Paula Patton. Um. But uh, yeah, only I, I'm trying to steer us back only because I can't. I don't want to go off on that last Bond film because I, it was not. It was not for me. Oh, but I need to watch it again. But uh, you and Mike are Scott. So it's yeah, okay. I, you can be on that um, island. <laughs> I uh, yeah. He and I are just you know sipping mimosas and just talking about it. And uh, it's uh, yeah. That's not 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 my movie. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't uh, activate. Yeah. It's, uh, that's the thing. So, yeah. Something, something uh, my wife Erica said was like, there's one thing that movie had was plenty of time to die. Because <laughs> yeah, there was nothing but time to die in that one because that was long. It was, it was very, very long. long. It was a very long very, movie. Very, very long. So I want to rewatch that movie, but I also have to like carve out a good chunk of a day in order you to do. do it because 
it's gonna take time yeah it's gonna take some time it's gonna take some time uh, to die <laughs> and, and and to your point and i'll just say this and let's please move on but uh that might be the movie where they were pushed it a little too far and to oh, your yeah. point where they that that's the movie where they were they went a little pushed it a little far they did and so it's good that he took off at that point because yes. that's when they were going a little too far they got a little too far with it all, and um, though I did enjoy the the um, the bad guys layer, I haven't seen a good Bond layer for a while, and this one was just like they went big on that one. Awesome. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of pure production value of that layer, absolutely, I agree yeah. that they went back to that's that. It makes no like, sense what he's doing, but I like the layer. Nope. <laughs> I have no clue what he's up to. I and I I have said that as soon as I said I dare anyone to tell me what his plan is. Yeah. I have no idea. No. He gets to monologue for a while and yeah. I still don't know what he's nope. doing. No clue. No clue. What is his end game? No idea. Know. But that layer of his was like reminiscent of Dr. No. Yes, it like was. Like it had and I mm. think, you know, pointedly so out on this island, but Yeah. It, it, and it was it was beautiful. It was, you know, it it was a beauty. It was it it was something Wes Anderson definitely jotted down a lot of notes about and was like, mm, I like all this. Okay. This is great. This is great production design. It's retro. I'm going to, I'm going to use some of this. This is great. No, Taking but yeah, notes. James Bond does fuel into um, mission impossible because it is just another, it's America has been trying to get the spy franchise off the ground since right. Dr. Right. No. I don't think it's, there've been here moments by movies here and there, which I think are really, really good, but it's never had that spy franchise that i think is connected with people as much as bond does i could be wrong right. someone's probably screaming at me of the spy american spy that they're like i'm like cool well we talked about jack ryan so i mean there's that there's but, that but i think the preeminent one at this point has to be mission impossible that's that's the series yeah i mean it's, there's a few hits here and there but i would sort of say if you're comparing the Jack Ryan series to the Mission Impossible series, it's the Mission Impossible series. And I love the Jack Ryan series. Do not get me wrong. Right, but right, there's just something right. about the Jack, there's something about the Mission Impossible series that really captures not Bond, but that kind of feeling of extravagance when you get into spies. I mean, the, the I mean, I just sort of watching it, I'm like, oh yeah, he was he went rogue on in this movie as well. Cause every other time in every other Mission Impossible movie, it's like you're gone rogue. <laughs> <laughs> he's been yeah, dis yeah, disavowed. He right, has to go on his own. Right, no one's going to yeah. help him. And I'm like, can we have a movie where he's actually staying within the whatever agency he's in? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That would be really nice if he could do that. Well, technically, that was two. That was kind of yeah. But even then, I mean, he was he was getting in trouble because he was meant to use had, um what's her name <laughs> in a very notorious right. situation. Uh, um. Yeah, I mean, we still had Anthony Hopkins running the IMF yes, back then. Yes, IMF, that's what the very classy. Yeah. yeah. Very classy organization at that point. And he was still sort of within, though he's always out on a mission. So he never goes back to, there's not the IMF. There are IMF offices a little bit like in the yeah. Macquarie era, but he's not, he's not really going into the office like James Bond does. He doesn't really have like a home base. Yeah. He's always sort of out and about on missions. That's where he's home. But that's kind of the closest where we have the machinations of the actual organization working. Otherwise, he's always like, the IMF is trying to be, you know, they're, we're trying to defund it. Uh, or we've we are stuck you in a Russian prison on purpose yes. to kind of keep you out of things. You're a scapegoat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so there's, 
there, there's always some part of that but i i still that's the thing i think for people that don't like mission impossible movies and my brother mark is one of them i'm like you know but they're like the bond movies they have their sort of sense of ridiculous to them they have their sense of like uh a, a sort of okay this is a bit maybe camp you could say a bit, oh yeah uh, uh, like over the top but like that's the point of them that's the point of the beginning i remember um i told my brother that I think it was probably Rogue Nation or Ghost Protocol. I was like, I told him it was really, really good. And he went and saw it and he was like, I hated it. And I was like, why? And he was like, it's not how computers work. They don't do. And I was like, it's mission impossible, dude. It's not mission reality. It's mission. Yeah. The whole point is like this, as Tom Cruise says, and it's like a wink at the audience. Oh, uh, oh, Luther, it's much worse than you think. Yeah. Here's the thing we're going to do. And you can't do it. No, but we're gonna do it, and it's a wink at the audience, like, right, everyone, yeah. we're all on board, right? Can we now proceed to the incredible thing we're gonna do that clearly could never happen or work, but we'll make it work and it'll be fun to watch? Yeah, that's all it is. It's a promise yeah. to the audience, and I, as far as I'm concerned, I'm always on board. My brother is just like, nope, you can't have it, but he also didn't like Silence of the Lambs because they used too big a jet, so I mean, you know, things, things. That doesn't take me out of a movie. No. You know what I mean? I understand for some people that will take them out of a movie. Yeah. That doesn't take me out of the movie. There's a certain amount of like, as an audience member, you have to kind of buy in. And the movie will can do its best to aid you to that and bring you to it. And I think De Palma does it with his style, with the way he, the, the in this movie, as we said, both these movies, just absolutely perfect in the in their runtime you never feel like mm. well, maybe i can get up and go to the bathroom you nope. like you are locked in it's it, it it sweeps you up in it and so they can age you with it but there's always a certain element of like i have to suspend my disbelief to a certain degree and as i get older i i think the same thing that uh you know our friend mike has said mm. as well like you always have to meet the movie at its own terms. You and do. I find that a lot that when I was younger, I didn't. Oh no, I, like, I didn't why couldn't either. The, why couldn't the movie have been this? Yes. And it's like, the movie isn't that. The uh, movie is breaking, something else. Breaking in, I was like, why couldn't the movie been a little bit more of them breaking in and doing, and it, you know, and it didn't go the way it did at the end. Well, that's not what the movie is. The movie is what it is. You have to, you have to take the movie for what it is. And then, you know, it, it yeah. will either work for you or not, but you have to take it for what it is and not ask why it couldn't have done something else. Exactly. I used to do that as a lot as a kid. I sometimes still a do. And, I've got to, and I think it's a thing you have to learn how to do to come to a movie on its own terms. And Brian De Palma actively tells you, you have to do that purely just with the first act. Um, yeah. I, you think this is just not as so you have to come with me and you have to every crazy camera angle, everything I'm doing, everything I'm doing with the Jim Fouts character, every twist, every plot, every, um, although we haven't even touched on Vanessa Redgrave yet. Oh my gosh, she's so Oh my god, I know. Oh, she's so good. And she's they so went good. back to her in the Macquarie era by sort of getting, I guess, her daughter yes. basically in the mix. Yeah. Like I'm so glad they called back to Max because uh an ex- incredibly memorable yeah. uh a character from that first movie. And her scenes with Tom Cruise are great. The it's... way she is so flirty with Tom Cruise. Yet she, she will kill you. And yeah. she's like Oh, I could kill you in a minute, but I just want to eat you up like a little snack. That's pretty much uh, it. That's what she's doing. I yeah. just, it's unbelievable. It's amazing. Yeah. It's such a better performance than her performance in steaming. It the is. The New World Picture. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
look, Vanessa Redgrave knew kind of was it depending on her mood when she wanted to put it on the light, she was amazing. Um, but yeah, it's kind of that is what he's doing. He is literally going, This is the movie I'm making. You can either watch along with me and be really excited. I'm going to show you a whole bunch of cool things, or you can just go, Nope. And I think that's kind of the director he is. He's a very yeah, no, you're uncompromising. right. He doesn't, he's not going to pander to mm -hmm. you any which way, mm -hmm. shape or form. Um, cause he finds that boring. I think he, he'd rather I, do chins, uh, shots up the chin or kind of turn a beloved character into a narcissistic, um, trader. He would rather do that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. than do the conventional mission in impossible movie, which would have been fine, but I don't think it would have gone eight movies I, I just now because mm -hmm. we haven't seen the last mm -hmm. two but there are going to be eight movies I don't think it would have turned into that at all yeah I, and I agree with you I think he that is what has made his career have ups and downs mm. because he isn't always going to just do but he can do it he can do he's it he's not, done it a couple of times done but... it a couple of times and certainly here he's mm. just not always satisfied with just doing that yeah that's not you know and his movie right after this is Snake Eyes. Yes. Which is a blast. But man, you gotta jump, you gotta get into that ride. Oh, you do. You it's got, if you, you gotta if you were not ready, if you are not ready just to accept a movie on its own terms, Snake Eyes is gonna be hard because it, it's a it's a it's a wild movie. But you can see a lot of the sort of style of Mission Impossible in that movie. I was he, thinking that, yeah. So my notes the yeah. hell out of Snake Eyes, the same way he's doing. He carries a lot of that DNA into Snake Eyes, but mm. what a wildly different movie with a huge performance from Nicolas Cage. And it's hey, a Tyler. blast, but you, hey, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to go with that. Yeah. You have to go with him on that. Mm. And and if he had just done Mission Impossible movies or Untouchables or just done those kinds of things, I think he would have had an incredible career, would have been amazing but he had to go his own way. Yeah. And that's, I was thinking about this today because, and it's funny that that's why I think it's so funny you brought up Tarantino earlier, because I was kind of thinking what I love about Brian De Palma and why he's one of my favorite directors is that he, he doesn't have a perfect record. No. And it's what drives me a little bit crazy about Tarantino, which again, I love Tarantino. I was walking around a beautiful European city and buying his scripts. I could have been doing, should have been probably doing anything else. Yeah. But, you know, um, love Tarantino, but like, he's so obsessed with having a perfect record. He is. He's and even he's sad. like, and I'm gonna, and I gotta go one more and I gotta get out because I couldn't, I don't want to have anything besmirch my perfect record. And I'm like, who cares, dude? Yeah, it's like you're you're the only one giving a shit. Yeah, really about that stuff. He really and, is. And every great director has a movie that maybe even they would go, yeah, that one, you know, that one was kind of tough. Yeah, it didn't uh, come together right because again, movies are magic. So it's like you, to just want to go out there always and just make sure that there's absolutely no way you can screw this all up and to, to the point of saying, I'm only going to make a small amount of movies and I'm done. I just feel like that's, that's your ego. That's all ego. That's that your is, ego. And it is De Palma ego. was like, I, God damn it. I'm going to make the stories I want to make and you'll either like it or not. And maybe they won't all work, but God damn it. This is what I'm going to do. And that's what I kind of love about him. I, I love that he, when he hits it, it's, it's an absolute masterpiece mm. 
and then he's got moments where you're like woof oh buddy oh yikes yeah. yikes on that one but that didn't, uh, that didn't quite work um that didn't hit dude that, didn't, that hit. didn't hit and like really after uh you know mission impossible i kind of felt like sheepish about it but loved it and thought okay he's back snake eyes i thought was real fun but then mission to mars it's like he you know and but i thought he was i thought he was gonna like take off again mm. you know um but that's what again that's what i love about him you no, know he he's very uncompromising in that he way he doesn't play it safe that's what no. i'm trying, trying to get to no he never he's does not playing it safe and, and that comes sometimes comes with consequences and that's okay I keep going back to that first opening scene of Mission Impossible, but I think that's what it is. I mean, to expect people to accept the fact that you're killing off a team in 96. Now it happens in Deadpool. It happens in Suicide Squad. It's, it's Scream has happened. It is much more accepted. But yep. even though in a horror movie, it's much more accepted because it's a horror movie. In something right, like right. a big budget movie, to do that is a risk. And it's basically mm-hmm. having to say, it's a bit of a fuck you to the audience who are coming in and expecting Mission Impossible. But what we got was an amazing action slash spy movie because it turned the whole thing on its head. It did it really well. It gave Tom Cruise, well, he was already probably at the height of his Tom Cruise-ness at 96. Pretty, yeah. He was was well in the thick of, I mean, I don't know if he's had, if he's had any fallow periods, I'm not sure it's been very long. No, he usually finds a way to come back. He, like he's, he's he's kind of become one of our only... Yeah. It's just like, because a secretary went out to eat, he's like, fine, I'll, I'll sit at her desk and I'll just type up one of the best scenes ever in movies. Goddamn mammoth. No it's, big deal. Like, yeah, fucking mammoth. It's because it's one of the... I think it's one of those bases based on urban legends about Capone, that he was at a dinner, he was telling a story, right, and he just... Right, He killed... He pretty much... I don't know if he killed him, but he bit the shit out of a guy in front of everyone because he was that's he was the and, toughest guy in town uh and he wasn't gonna let anyone so he would often show his kind of manliness and his powerfulness by just like randomly killing someone in front of everyone um but yeah that seems amazing there are so many amazing scenes just brutally gory too like yeah man, i've seen that movie so many times as a child that blood just spilling on the table is like it, I, I mean, it's iconic and it's on, it's so, uh, it is so affecting. It's yes. so like, holy shit. He, he just beat the shit out of this dude. Yeah. And it's, he's kind of likable before that moment. You don't think he's as dangerous within right. the movie context. If you know Capone, you know that he was a very dangerous man. But if you're in the, within the movie sense, he's just this jolly guy who's like, you get the mm-hmm. sense that it is, he's, orchestrating shady shit but you don't actually know how deadly he is until he starts yeah to that moment he's kind and, of laughing as he's one step ahead like yeah sure sure yeah you one day you'll get me and then you see him like yeah. the true evil yes yeah. and you're like oh my god we've got to get this guy you got to get it's this guy because even yeah because yeah, i love how the characters are just like yeah drinking isn't that bad but it's the law so we need to follow the law um and the first thing is what is prohibition's apparently going to be over what's the, what are you going to do elliot ness he's like well, i'm gonna have a drink <laughs> it's, it's legal now <laughs> uh, so many things that the one speaking of uh a single take the 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 killing of uh of sean connery in that movie oh my god the king of single uh, takes unbelievable but... scene like just the way he's just like bleeding out and like you know, once he's shot and con- uh, um, childhood. And then I started going, well, now it's time for indie movies 
and it's time to be adults. Films, <laughs> and it's time to be an adult and drink coffee and talk about meaningful things. Yes. I can't like this kind of stuff. And maybe another reason why I felt like in 96, God, Mission Impossible is kind of awesome. I kind of love it because this is my shit. De Palma, um, big, you know, when somebody can do a big piece of populist entertainment like this and do it incredibly well, I think that is rare and it is a huge gift. And some of those things, the A-team, sometimes you just want to kick back and watch something like sometimes you just want to watch Nicolas Cage get the <laughs> the Constitution. Yes. You know? you know, sometimes that's what you want to watch. And yeah, there's good, there's room for important films and art films and B movies and horror films and everything else. But sometimes you just like to watch Tom Cruise uh you know dangle over a computer and steal a list of names <laughs> and sweat and hang on to a helicopter and blow it up and use the propulsion of that explosion to land back onto a moving train and you're like yes please yes please I, give thank me you very seven much. more of these Thank you very much. And now I'm, yeah, no, movie, as you keep saying, movies are magic. And this is the reason why. There's a whole kind of spectra of movies that you can watch. And it's not just your indies, not just your prestige. It's not just your foreign language. um, Just because I'm just thinking of the Vim Vendors, Kings of the Road, which I still think about. Um, It's not just your horror. Yeah. It's it's the action. It's everything. It's, It's an incredible kind of thing. And when you can kind of talk about these sort of two movies, Sneakers and Mission Impossible, which are very, very, very similar things and have very kind of similar structures. But because you have Cruz leading one and um, Redford leading the other, they are completely different tonal. Sneakers is a lot calmer. It's going to just take its time, even though it doesn't feel like it is because it does not feel like an over two-hour movie. And... Mission Impossible with Cruz and De Palma, it is go, 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 go. And it does not stop for just under two hours. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> and I always love you having on the shows. These are always like the best chats. So thank you thank so you. much Likewise. for coming on. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how long this has been. Have we been talking for eight hours? Something I don't like know. that, yeah. We've been, we've been talking for half an hour. I'm not 100%. You could tell me either so one sure. yeah. and I would be like, yeah. I agree. It was half an hour or eight hours. I don't know, (laughs) but it was a blast talking about these movies. I hope people enjoyed this chat and, uh, and, and watch these two movies. I, I think this would be a blast in a theater to see these two movies back to back. It really would Because I watched, yeah, I watched Mission Impossible, then Sneakers. And I'm like, this is just a good time. Um, Before we go, tell people where they can find your good work. Uh, You can find us uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. So wherever you're listening Mm -hmm. to this, you can listen to us as well. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, uh, New World Pictures Podcast. I think on Instagram or uh, on uh, Twitter, we are at the New World Pod. Um, on Instagram, I think we're more the New World Pictures Podcast. Mm. But look for either one of those and you'll find us. We're on Facebook too, if you're on that old dusty mm. app. But um, but yeah, that's where you can find us. And I'm always manning the, uh, the Twitter tower. So mm. come say hi to me there. Um, yeah. And thank you so much again for for having me, Lindsay. This was great. No, please give the po- the New World Pictures podcast a listen because it is fantastic. Um, thank you love you. Them, you love them as much as you mock them, which is I think is just the perfect mix of reverence. Um, you know, you, there's insanity. You gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta have fun with these things. You gotta have fun with them. There's insanity involved, um, and I'm really looking forward to that Children <laughs> of the Corn redo of uh, the the ranking because I'm just ranking. like going, oh my god, because there's like eight, ten of them now. There's there, I think, I believe there's 11. 
11. Um, there oh. might there might be one that we are not able to find because there's one that was made like during the pandemic, the early days of the pandemic uh, in Australia. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that's possible to get a hold of. Mm. So well, that might be one that we don't know. You well, know. give give uh, Erica my condolences for having to watch the eleven. <laughs> she is kind of one of the people that was talking about doing this. So, oh wow! And she's got no one to blame this time. Yes, she did. She had plenty of words to say when we ranked all the Hellraisers. She did. That's uh, what I was remembering. <laughs> yeah, and she still gets mad about that. Yeah, that she had to watch all of them. But this this one, she can't get mad. No, she can't get mad at him. No. And we've already watched two of them. So oh. she's, because we did, Children of the Corn was our very first episode. And it then did. we did a nearly New World episode where we talk about movies that New World almost released, which there are some, uh, or that they could have released, which mm. is Children of the Corn 2. The Final Sacrifice. They called it The Final Sacrifice because they thought, we can't make more. Um <laughs> No one will watch a third Children of the Corn. We're really milking it just by doing a second. And uh, that one, we just, we talk, if you listen to the episode, we talk about how this could have been made by New World, but New World kind of fell apart at that point. But, um, and how the rights were taken away and who ran off of them. And so, yeah, so, but so we've already done two. So she's only got to do nine more. (laughs) Well, I look forward to listening to it because I'm going to try Thank for this you, October Lisa. to do some of the Children of the Corn corn movies. Um, God bless you. Uh, <laughs> you could also just listen to the rankings and feel I like might, you watch them. So I if you take that, that out, if you take that out, it's okay. I might do that. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening to Shock and Awe. Um, you can find us again on all the apps, or at least all the apps I'm aware of. Um, if you want to follow me, Schlockenor1 on Twitter and Instagram, and also me, Reading Geek, on Letterboxd and Twitter. I'm usually around. So say hello. And uh, again, thank you so much, Ryan. This was an absolute blast. Um, and we will be back with another double feature. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.